Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Liberty After Dark. I am your host, Christian Moore, and today I am joined by the wonderful Alan Mosley of the Gold Standard and Postcards of Somalia podcast, along with Sports Ball. And am I missing any? Oh, thank God, that's all of them. Okay, sweet. It's a very, it's quite a big handful of stuff you got going on there, though, right? It is. That's that is three of the five programs that are on Little L Productions, along with uh, Mike Meharry has the solo show God Archie with Mike Meharry, and of course Sherry has the Sherry Voluntary Show, and then we've got the Sports Ball and Postcards are our duo shows, and then we have the Gold Standard. So it's you've got you've got God and friends, you've got Sherry, you've got Alan, you've got sports, you've got your bread and circuses, you've got everything on Little L Productions. There we go, and Little L Productions is the uh, what. what term would you use something like a media conglomerate for uh if if that if that gets us some sponsors absolutely it's a media conglomerate yeah that's a that's an interesting way of putting putting it i remember there was a conversation i was having not too long ago with some people talking about a a similar idea or or a project of but sort Mm -hmm. of like a community sponsored i don't quite like the term open source but more of a of a platform for distribution, mm-hmm. less a, less the, just like a, a focal point, if you know what I'm saying, sure. if that makes any sense. But yeah, that's a, a very cool idea. I, I do agree with, I, I like the idea of creators getting together. I know the people over We Are Libertarians do a similar kind of, of thing, and they have their own little conglomerate of shows that they do. So it's, it's cool to see that. And uh, I think it makes us stronger as content providers when we can have our groups to fall back onto. So awesome stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's, it, what's funny is, is that the, the Liberty community is not exactly a uh, majority community <laughs> in the political or mainstream world. Um, however, you still have your little uh, niches and clicks of people that, have never heard one has never heard of the next has never heard of the next so we we try to kind of like bridge that gap a little bit and, and you know and we support each other we share each other's content and uh you know if 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 mike writes an article or does something even if it's you know not on our network if it's with 10th amendment center or whatever you know we promote that um you know we promote uh what sherry is doing on the sherry voluntary show so each each show is promoting every other show on the network all the time yeah that's good. That's good stuff, though. Helps. I mean, that's the name of the game these days, right? The more eyes mm-hmm. something sees, it's a self-perpetuating cycle. If you've got good content, it just needs to get put in front of people. So, yep. Uh, so I wanted to ask you just to go ahead and start off this more interview side of of this. How did you get into doing your shows? What made you wake up one day and say, <laughs> "I want to sit in front of a microphone and talk about"? about philosophy and politics and ethics sure so i was a very young entrepreneur i owned a printing company that i opened when i was 22 years old and uh, during the years that i ran that company here in middle tennessee um, i was invited to be a guest on a radio program south of nashville that was um it was on a sports network, ironically enough, but this was kind of like a current event show on a sports network. Mm-hmm. It was called Get It was called Get in the Game. And they invited me on to talk about whatever was going on. And uh, I guess they really liked what kind of what we did and our vibe. And they said, hey, we'd like to have you back regularly. And that ended up becoming a show on WMRB radio in Middle Tennessee that was called The Gold Standard. And then 
and and in true to true to form, anything with me on it gets canceled. So the goal, so that actual it wasn't that our show got canceled; it's that that entire radio station was bought and, and turned into a uh, a Fox News or Fox Sports affiliate. Nice. And they got rid of all they got rid of all the uh, local programming. And so some years later, um, I was thinking about you know we could redo that show, and you know do it and do it in a podcast form and and try to rebuild that brand. And so with without any other good idea, I just renamed it the Gold Standard with Alan Mosley and kind of picked up where we left off. And we've even had some of the same guests and organizations on our show that we had back some years ago. Okay, sorry, I'm getting I'm getting trolled over here by one of my viewers. But uh, he said the stream dropped, and I said, "Oh, please, God, tell me he's lying." But all right, uh, we're good. So yeah, um, so I knew that you did radio in the past. So that was you mm -hmm. know it was kind of like a, a hobby almost, or well, you you miss doing it, and so why not do it myself? It's basically how that one went. Very. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it's one of those things where. It, it was fun to do at the time, and of course, radio is a different kind of beast than doing podcasting because you, you, you know, you are live. You're on air. We didn't, we weren't recording programming and re-airing anything. Mm -hmm. We were doing it live. Um, but that's good. It's good to get that experience, though, because as as I'm as you full well know, if anything that you can do live, even if you're not streaming it, if you can do it in a live take to cut down on editing and and rendering and production. That's going to help you produce more content more quickly. And so we, even though we don't always stream the gold standard live, sometimes we restream it the night of the day it was recorded. If our guest was with us earlier in the day, we still do it in a live take like live radio with commercials and everything in between breaks. Cool. Yeah, no, that it is awesome. So actually, that's something I wanted to ask you about. If you wanted to get a little bit more into like the nitty gritty of how you do your show and talking about some of the the ethics behind that and so i noticed mm -hmm. you know i've been watching your show for for a few months now actually and i i remember quite recently that you you stated that you were going to try to reposture how you sort of projected yourself i think the the quote was something like there's plenty of people out there talking and raving about all of the bad mm -hmm. we're going to try to focus on good and solutions and be productive is pretty much the gist of it um, what kind of what kind of led up to that? What is uh, what's the mentality that brought you to that point? So, really, we we made two big changes. The first one was is we we save all the horrible talk for postcards for Somalia, and we keep the gold standard relatively clean um, because we want to syndicate it on as many networks around the world as we can, and that's that's easier to do when you're not dropping f bombs every every couple of seconds. Yeah. Um, and then and the second thing is is that I think I think any of us who have been in the community or in the movement, I'm not really big on that whole liberty movement label, but anyone anyone who's done any writing, been published, doing anything or whatever for any period of time, I know you can get worn out. Um, I was actually the vice president of a nonprofit um, here in Middle Tennessee that was a, a theater-based nonprofit, so totally unrelated uh, different professional fields I was in. But it was the same thing we used to have there all the time too, which is a lot of people who are doing it are doing it for the love of it. They're doing it as a volunteer. They're not collecting a salary. They're just trying to do something they love in the community. But you know, you can go to the well too much and you can get worn out. And as it pertains to what we're doing, there's always going to be stuff. There's always going to be news that can feed outrage. But 
I'm just tired of outrage. Like I've, I've told Sherry, cause you know, Sherry loves hating on cops is look, <laughs> I, I, I hate cops as, as much as the next person, but you could do a show every week of the gold standard, which was just look what this awful cop did this week. I'm just tired of it. I, I want to, at the very least, I want to talk about a broader array of subjects. At the very most, I want to talk more about highlighting some good in the world and some things that are people are doing to improve their lives other than just look how bad the government is. I mean, don't get me wrong. We talk about that, <laughs> but you can if, – if I was going to do 100 more episodes of look how bad the government is, I would do them. Then I would never do another show ever again because I'd be worn out. No, I understand that completely. Um, I think trying to find what niche I was going to fill is that uh, I've had, especially, you know, well, not really even more recently, but I've done a lot of it's whole episodes focused just on what you as an individual can do. So I completely understand what you're mm -hmm. coming at, uh, the angle that you're approaching this from. Uh, I think it's me personally, like I... I I can get a little outraged depending on, on what it is. I, I am very susceptible to that. But at the same time, it's hard to have outrage that you can't do anything with. So I think it's very important to focus on as like how to promote agorism inside of your communities, how to minimize mm -hmm. government influence, how, how to be a good small L libertarian, you know, uh, and, and things, how to help your community. So I, I appreciate when other people are, are looking at talking about these things too, because maybe I'll learn something I don't know, or maybe someone listening will learn something they don't know, and we can help get one step closer peacefully to the goal that we all share. And so I think it's I think mm -hmm. it's important. Outrage may get the views, but I'm very convinced that this whole looking at it from like a lifestyle perspective, or or maybe not quite, but you you understand where I'm coming from. I think that's yeah, where definitely that's where you build the community, in in my opinion. I mean, you know, if there's a major thing in the news, like um, we record on Wednesdays, and of course, one of the more recent Wednesdays was 9-11. So, mm -hmm. of course, we were going to talk about 9-11. And, you know, John Bolton got for fired. Of course, we talked about John Bolton. So it's not that we don't – it's not that we don't cover – mainstream news when there's obviously a huge thing in the news cycle right when we're getting ready to film. But we still want to try to come out the other end of an episode, whether we're doing a 30, 45 minute little shoot uh, or longer if we have a guest and we're doing multiple segments. I want to come out on the far end with, and therefore we can all be glad about this. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think that's awesome personally. Um, it's probably one of my favorite things about a lot of the creators in our particular side of the community. Like I said, mm -hmm. it doesn't take much time to go onto to YouTube or Facebook and find the person who's angry about this or the person who's angry about that uh, from any position, anywhere. It, like I said, it gets clicks. It gets views. People consume that content. But I, uh, again, you know, I'll say it. I think the things that that get brought up more often in, in our circles than do other places are how you build communities. You don't build communities yeah. on outrage. You build communities on focusing on progressing and, and making your situation and, and your life better. So awesome stuff. Fantastic. Well, it's, it's so important to make sure that you're informing people other than just, you know, preaching to the choir and getting the harump harump going because, you know, I, you know, I think back to, you know, think about the Occupy Wall Street. 
You know, think about think about all the people that were Ron Paul folks that turned into Bernie bros four years later. That's what you get when people are mad. And don't get me wrong. They're right to be angry, but they don't really understand how or where to channel that outrage. And then it ends up being they're no allies of yours come the next election cycle, which I, I don't care two bits about who's running for what. But it, it's it is a shame to see people that I knew and talked to who were, quote unquote, in the movement, not four or eight years ago that are telling me today, well, if we could if we could just break up the corporations and give everyone free health care, then everything <laughs> would be better, you guys. And, and again, those people have every right to be upset about the status quo because I am, too. But we got to be upset at the right people for the right reasons. I, oh, a hundred percent. I've actually been doing a lot of, of reading and learning on older philosophy. So I finally, you know, like I'm not the, I've been in the libertarian movement from beginning to end for a whopping like two years now. Uh, I've been an anarchist for almost a year now. I, I've been saying six months for forever, but it's, it's almost a year now. And, uh, the, you know, so I've been doing a lot of reading and research on, on older types of of philosophies mm -hmm. and and it's funny because you can watch this breadcrumb there are a few french philosophers that i've been reading about who were all like staunch individualists in their early days and were very you know ah free mind free thinker laissez-faire people and then the older they got they stayed anarchists i think that's very important but the older mm -hmm. they got they started like well we should have we should have communities that are all all bought together into collective bargaining systems and blah blah. Oh well, we should have shared resources. Ah, there's no real such thing as property, you know. And so yeah. I just find this trend of where it's almost like people try so hard to conform to, to to ideas that sound better on paper that are closer to that utopia because they feel like mm. where they start is so unappealing to so many people that it. You have to almost make that that leap to to advertise it, which so it's, it's kind of gross, honestly, when you say it out loud like that. <laughs> well, you know that that reminds me of uh, what Gene Epstein says, and and Gene's been a guest on the Gold Standard. He's an awesome guy. We actually talked more about the Sopranos than we did about politics or economics, which is <laughs> kind of fun. Uh, but uh, you know, he would say that. So, so if you're if you're a modern day philosopher that thinks, yeah, I'm a staunch individualist, yeah, I'm an anarchist, but we have to come together in some sort of commune and do X, Y, and Z, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as things like non-aggression are observed. And and as Gene has said many many times, that look, the difference between us and them is in the world that we want. If they wanted to do that, we would say more the better for you. I wish you the best. In the world that they want, they would put bullets in our heads. Yeah, um, that's something that I, too much hatred and flack say quite pretty often, is that if, if you know, if you want to start your commune in Ancapistan, go for it. Just don't mm -hmm. include, just, I'm not going to be involved, you know? Yeah. Don't expect me to pay for your commune. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, they, you know, they, they think that if we go into our communes, we're all going to die of you know, pol uh, polio or something because we didn't get vaccinated. And you know what? That's fine. We'll we'll tough it out with polio, and they can tough it out with starvation. And we'll see we'll see which one of our communities survives the longest. But at the end of the day, though, at some point you have to say I'm I'm willing 
I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is on that as long as as long as I'm not going to be harmed in the attempt. And that's that's the big difference between people who observe non-aggression and people who don't. So what do you think about these, you know, it's you put talk about putting your money where your mouth is. What do you think about these free state projects that have sort of popped up across the US? Um I I'm no, I don't want to live anywhere where it's cold. So mm -hmm. I mean there was a 0% chance I was ever going to New Hampshire, I'll tell you that. I'm I'm from southern middle Tennessee and it was, you know, it's I guess we're into the fall season now, but it was like 94 degrees here today. So for me that's normal weather. I don't think that's normal weather for them. Um, again, I, I don't have a really high opinion of those types of things. I, I think that you're the likelihood of you having much success in trying to form that kind of a community within the United States empire as it exists is somewhere between little and none. But that doesn't mean I'm not saying, you know, good, good luck to them. I'm not going to be a part of it, but I still wish them the best. Although I think if you if you really wanted to pursue some type of a free state sort of solution, you would be looking more at something like a seastead or a uh, some sort of tax exempt zone that you a city state sort of thing that you purchased from another country. Um, that I, to me that makes more sense than trying to work within the United States system because the system is not made for you to work within it. So I just to, just to clarify on that, it's not just the cold weather. There is some sort of uh, you have issues with the idea in practice as well, too, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, if 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 you know, look, if I was a billionaire and I was going to put down like you know huge sums of millions of my own money to try to start one of these communities, I would be looking to start it outside the United States. Okay, yeah, all right, I I could see that. I definitely think. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I am not a supporter of the Free State Project. I'm a supporter of everybody in all of their endeavors to promote liberty. That's that's what I like to say. But um, I, I understand what you're coming at. Uh, it is very, very difficult. And even now, I mean, New Hampshire is probably the biggest Free State Project, even though there are others, which is kind mm -hmm. of confusing to the idea of the Free State Project. But, you know, I mean, hey, whatever, they can do that. And uh I mean, there's a reason that New Hampshire has an insanely large number of delegates now and has all these weird voting laws and everything. They've taken notice to uh, to how how the efforts are being tried to use for voting. But I so I just wanted yeah. to get your opinion on that. Um, have you ever had anyone from the Free State Project by any chance come on your show? I've never had anyone expressly from from the Free State Project on the show, but okay. you know, really at the end of the day, I'm more of a Higgsian type anarchist, which is um, just the realization that, look, the the American system as it exists is not is specifically designed to not allow such silly things to be going on within its borders. All right. I mean, it's just <laughs> I if you want to attempt that, I would never I would never do anything to stand in your way. But again, I'm certainly no billionaire. But if I was, I would I would want to pick up all of those people out of uh, I think West is in Arizona, aren't they? Yeah, uh, I would try to get I try to get free state west and I would try to get uh, the New Hampshire people to uh, to to live with me in a seastead or a small piece of island off a of Caicos or something where, you know, where we could where we could still deal in dollars other than in and crypto. You know, we could still deal in some 
fiat that other countries are going to use so that we could exchange goods and services. But the big thing being that we would work that out with some other nation off their borders. The United States is not looking to make any deals with us, I <laughs> promise you. Yeah, I, I definitely – I can see where you're coming uh, coming from there. Um, I, so you brought up you, – you have a more Higgsian view of this sort mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, you know, we talk about using the system to defeat the system almost, and I'm, I'm assuming you you well read up on your Spooner. Um, is that correct? Okay. Yes. So what do you think about his usage of defensive voting as this idea of protecting your liberties through the system in that manner? So – so I, you know, and I, and I get to fight for this on the show a lot is look, I, I don't vote. Um, I have no interest in voting. All those people on Facebook that send me invitations to like whatever candidate around them that's running for their city council, I, I, I click decline on all of them, guys. So just quit sending them. I don't support any political. But with that said, again, I would, I would never tell you, look, Christian, don't do that. I mean, even if I wouldn't do it or didn't think it was worthwhile, I, I you know, if you want to do that, go right ahead. Um, but I will say this, and this, I know this is going to appeal a lot of your big L folks, which I'm certainly not one of, <laughs> yeah. which is, look, if if you thought that the the best chance we have today to live in a free society is to get out the vote in the American system, just go join the GOP and quit kidding yourself. There's a there's a, a quite. A large amount of truth to that, but I'll, I'll give you a chance to elaborate yourself because I know there's going to be someone who listens to this in the podcast and is not going to like that. So uh, why do you say that? What is what is the, the reasoning behind that statement? So and 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 I and look as 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 much a contrarian as I am. Like I'm not the only person in our community that thinks that way. There's a there's many many people who share the same opinion that I would have. I, I know that Higgs would. Uh, I don't want to oh, put yeah. words in a lot of people's mouth, but I, I mean uh, Robert Murphy, who is Bob Murphy's, has been on the show that I, I respect a lot. He he's made the ex exact same sort of comments as I am, which is if if your goal, if you think. That electoral success is a realistic aspiration for you and that that is the best case scenario for you to work within the system, then you should go where the system is designed specifically so that people like libertarian parties have no – they never enjoy any real type of uh, electoral success, never reach that tipping point where they have enough say at a federal level to – uh, be be tiebreakers and that sort of thing. Like, look, if I thought that there was any chance that the LP could get something like 10 or 15 percent of the House or Senate, and you're talking now like, hey, you've got enough votes that you could be a serious tiebreaker on major issues, then I would say go for it. But for one, the, guys, like look around you there. That, that is never going to happen. The system is designed to make that not happen. And as people found out during the Ron Paul years and on, look, if there was any if you even came close to that being a reality, they changed the rules to make it even harder because they control the rules. No, I mean, yeah, that's that's very true. I think there is something to be said about I mean, first off, I'd like to say that as of all the people I've had on my show, that's the majority opinion, not the minority. So mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about that. I completely understand where you're coming from. And I, you know, in my opinion, I think there's there's definitely a lot of truth to what you have to say. Um, and I think more the more people I talk to, I used to be very big on vote when you can, because I, I do not like this. I, you know, I'm 
call me whatever. I'm not a big fan of the idea of the boogaloo. I'm not a big fan of the idea of like overthrowing the government or something. So we either have to all leave or we have to peacefully change it. And there's only two ways to do that. Ignore it out of existence, which will probably not realistically happen or try to change it from the system, which will probably not realistically happen. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be clear, like when I was talking about the, the C sitting or, or tactic exempt zone type of an idea, look, I'm, I'm very much an escape as as my master plan not an overthrow that's that's a quick way to live a very short life yeah and in in or if you think that well if you're one of these people that kind of uh, subscribes to they well most of our life is anarchy we just have to ignore the federal level and and take care of our communities well that i mean i'm not saying that that's not again it's kind of like a hierarchy of what's the next best possible option and, and that might be fairly high on your list of most possible options, but you're still talking about like 0.002% chance of success. Whereas I think it's – in the grand scheme of things, we don't live in a free world. I don't think we're going to live in a free world by the time I die. Hopefully that's many decades from now. But yeah. the closest thing that you can do to live free is, yeah, uh, think more locally, act more locally, um, or get out of the United States. I think, yeah, I think if we were looking for not necessarily the most uh, cost-effective, perhaps, path, maybe it would be mm -hmm. just because, but again, something like a seastead, just, just yeeting yourself out of the country and starting over is probably the the most cost-effective, fastest option to make it happen. Uh, it's one of my favorite sayings, you, you can't spend yourself rich, you can't vote yourself free. There you go. Can't spend yourself rich or vote yourself free. I like that one. I'm going to have to put that one in the old uh, quote book. Yo, who's that from? There you go. Is that just a saying? Uh, I, I, th I'm pretty sure that's an older saying. I heard okay. it most recently from Michael Malice. There we go. Michael Malice. Okay. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Vastilis here says he thinks the best option is to get straw hats, grow rice, and plant lots of trees. Uh, the U.S. is Achilles heel. So... Well, and okay. So to that point right there, I, I know... I mean, I know the, the joke he's making. The memes. And yes... The, the, the United States government has fared ne'er well against uh, guerrilla movements in foreign countries. That is true. The problem with that in the United States is, is that it's not going to be you versus them. It's going to be you versus them and all your neighbors because, guys, libertarianism ain't a popular philosophy. Most of uh, my good friend Mike Meharry, who is on our network, uh, has a couple of programs. I do sports ball with him. A very, very good friend of mine. I love Mike. And one of my favorite friends. Uh, quotes of his is when when people are talking about oh we have to we have to keep the socialists out we have to keep them from taking over government is is or or we have to build the wall because we have to keep the brown people out who are going to vote for all the commies and mike's quote was here you are worried about the commies coming in and voting when your lily white neighbor's been voting for socialist programs for 60 years yeah i there's this idea that everything all of these issues are almost like foreign that I think we kind of trick ourselves almost. Uh, and I'm saying the collective, we, the, we that I hate to use, but for the sake of sure. good conversation, um, yeah. I think the, the group as a whole, the, the, especially the more layman of libertarian types think every American deep down thinks like them. And that's not true. I went to college with people yes. who would sooner kill me than join any sort of individualist freedom movement. If I was like, Hey, we're overthrowing the government. They would, their first thing would be, please stop. Why? Instead of, yeah, let's go and do this. Uh, 
at I, most, I used, oh, sorry. I was just going to say at most, at like the, the most egregious poll I've seen, we make up 30% of the population. And I guarantee you, over three quarters of those at, at the least are uh, minarchists who don't want to completely overthrow the government. So, yeah, I, 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 I guarantee you that the number of genuine libertarian or ANCAPs or anarchists or whatever in, in the United States is, is easily short of one and a half percent easily. Yeah, uh, I would, I, I refuse to believe that it would be over 2%. And, and of course, uh, you know, some people shy away from getting into that whole who is and isn't a real libertarian debate. And I people, I tell people all the time, I actually have no problem with that debate, and I have no problem telling people they're not real libertarians because that's that's the biggest problem with the libertarian movement is you have a whole bunch of angry Republicans and jaded Democrats that think they found a new home. That was my one of my it used to be one of my favorite things to say when I would troll around in LMCG. As if, you know, we'd either find the, the boomers who were kicked out of the Republican Party because they liked yes. smoking weed, or mm -hmm. you would find the, the teenage homegrown Republican who doesn't even know what a libertarian is, but knows that he doesn't want to be in the party his dad was in. So, yep. <laughs> yep. Like, absolutely. That's you are completely right. I used to tell people, people I, 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 had a, I had a funny quote that got memeified uh, a few months back where I had said, if it if it came down to blows, we're talking full out revolution here, ladies and gentlemen, and the choice was this, either A, kill every single libertarian in America, or B, give up McDonald's french fries. All the Dems and Republicans would meet down at Mickey D's to celebrate their choice. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are so far and away a minority that that is exactly why I don't waste a lot of time on the electoral side of things. I spend a, I'll tell you what I do. I spend a lot more time running my mouth, making as much money I can. And if it really got as bad as the, the my three percenters think it's going to get, I flee the country. Yeah. If it, if it ever got to the point to where we were just in a full military police state, I mean, I've made it very vocal that if the guns go, we go to full, you, you know, healthcare and, they do a reparations tax and all this stuff. I might, I might just move anyways. I might just go to Mexico. I'll get my degree and go somewhere else. Like I, I have no reason to stay at that point. I mean, pretty much everything I love about the country or like about the country would be gone at that point anyways. So I'll just go to somewhere like I'll go to Hong. Well, I guess I won't go to Hong Kong. It's probably not a good idea right now. <laughs> just just think of it. You and I will be fleeing to some other country, and when we get there, they'll be stopping us at the border and telling us, uh, why don't you go back and fix your country? That's what they'll be telling us. Oh, yeah. Weird how that works, right? Weird. Oh, how for that sure. Works. See, there's a reason I don't say that, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Daniel Blanchett, who is uh, Sherry's producer, he has such a great response for that is, is whenever whenever some random boomer gets on a thread and says, uh, you know, build the wall, they just need to why, – why are they leaving their country? They should just go back and fix it. He always replies, well, that's because we destroyed their country with our drug war. Yeah, exactly. That's why they're leaving. Oh, man. Or the Middle East too. It's like why are all these refugees coming over? It's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we just – blew up two of their largest cities and they have nowhere to live now. <laughs> uh, yep. Very true. So Vasilis here says the problem with fleeing is where would you go? Like, is there any other place that would be better unless it's hidden and like in Atlas shrugged? I don't see it working. Uh, um, 
the easy answer to that is is that money makes the world go round and you can probably stretch a dollar in a lot of other countries a lot further than you can in the United States. So if you had enough if you had enough means that moving you and a few thousand of your libertarian buddies overseas was a realistic goal, then you could probably find somewhere to live in relative comfort. Maybe not comfort that you enjoy here and now, but comfort comparatively to history or the rest of the world and you'd be significantly freer and no one ever promised you a utopia so <laughs> yeah i i would say that my first goal would probably be somewhere in latin america that isn't all commied up somewhere in that area or, or, or an island in that region because they have beautiful weather it's a beautiful place you know hurricanes every once in a while but well, you look at uh, you look at Bob Higgs. You know he lives down in Quintana Roo, which is way down there on the southeastern tip of Mexico, where it's, it heads into Central America. And uh, now, by by our standards, he's roughing it. You know, not a lot of air conditioning, a lot of hot, humid weather because he's basically in a jungle. Um, what what he calls internet, you and I would call like two cans and a string. Um, <laughs> but. He he, but he did it though, right? Like he put his money where his mouth is, and he got out, and he lives free today. And and I mean, Mexico as as a nation is pretty screwed up. There's no doubt. But he doesn't live in Mexico City. He lives so far outside of the purview of what their government can control. People just live their lives. And and in my mind, that's what the American experiment was supposed to be, right? Is you're you're somewhere in middle America so far away from DC where you could live your life and the dictates of the man basically don't matter whether they cor were corrupt or not. But in you know circa 2019, they have their tentacles and everything and all of a sudden you can't you can't get away. No, I mean you <laughs> It's interesting to think about that, right? Is it a lot of people would say, oh, well, he's moving into this country and they have all of these laws, but there are places in this world where they are either remote enough or separated enough from whatever that country may be that you're right. It's like he's not in Mexico City. He's so far out into the wilderness that he's mm -hmm. basically in no man's land for all intents and purposes. So, um, thanks yeah, for your perspective. I mean I, you know, I would like to think if I ever hit the Powerball and all of a sudden I've got a cool 500 million laying around, you know, you, you and me and we'll go get all of our buddies in the Liberty Memes group together and we're going to we're going to all move to Caicos and <laughs> we're going to we're going to pay the federal government something like two or three hundred million dollars to say, OK, we're, we're good for now. We're just going to live on the island until we all die. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that is a permanent solution but it would probably be a solution for ours and our kids lifetime i mean don't get me wrong they can always come looking for you um but i i definitely think in in serious terms though i i definitely think that if you said alan i have a blank check let's go start a free society i would be looking to buy uh cheap land or an island off the coast of an otherwise lower lower world country um, and, and, you know, paying them an amount of money they haven't seen in their lifetimes. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, I know someone out there might, might be thinking, well, now you're just hoping that that country doesn't renege on their agreement. Well, true, but I know that the American government has reneged on their agreement. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just trading one for another, but I mean, we know what's going to happen here. And plus, when we get a few thousand libertarians in one place with all their RPGs and AK-47s, because, you know, everybody's going to have one of those, right? and our tactical mm -hmm. McNukes.
then we can defend yeah. against anything. You know, it's fine. Well, you know, people <laughs> like to people like to make the tactical McNuke meme, but I mean, in all reality, if if you actually had a tactical McNuke pointed at every major city on Earth and you moved off to an island somewhere with all your libertarian buddies, no one would attack you. No, no. There's, there is one. It's called North Korea, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, of course, the rest of the world would try to, to paint us as the next North Korea. But, you know, I, I don't care what random Republicans and Democrats say and think, so I'm not going to care what they think then either. Yeah, we got to go bomb Caicos. They're all living free <laughs> lives with their tactical McNukes. <laughs> well, you know, Peter Schiff is, uh, went down to uh, Puerto Rico, and of course, Puerto Rico is still obviously technically oh, yeah. part of the United States. And, um, you know, again, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a perfect case example, but he, he wanted to distance himself from Washington, D.C., and he succeeded in doing that. I mean, that's, be that's better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And it is that kind of gray area where it's like in between and... It's not really directly purviewed over by, you know, the federal government, but mm -hmm. that's cool. That's yeah. definitely an interesting idea. You know, I know we started this earlier by talking about what we can do on our level, but I do also enjoy these conversations about floating off onto fantastic libertarian islands and enjoying the rest of our lives and peaceful voluntary interactions and you know <laughs> yeah well you know i mean if if i was going to use a forbidden word i would say that i'm i'm a i'm a secessionist you know i would say that if if all of us here in tennessee decided we no longer wanted to live under the us federal government then we would secede and that decentralization is the is the remedy for what ails the united states i know jeff dice lou rockwell most of the mises institute camp would say that decentralization and secession would would be an, an excellent remedy for what ails modern politics. But again, if I if I had if I had five hundred million dollars to place a bet on where am I most likely to be able to secede to either um, some other foreign you know nation states um, jungle that we can excavate into our town or the state of whatever the state of New Hampshire. No, they're going to come kill you. If you try to secede in the state of New Hampshire, if you try to secede from the coast of Ghana, maybe you have a chance. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's no, I, I, I like, that's funny. I, I appreciate the, the analogy there, or the way of looking at it, but so we know where your bets are placed. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, it, it is pretty interesting. This, you know, also, I, it's very bold of you to say the word secessionist. Most people don't like that. Uh, it apparently automatically makes you a racist, so you can't, you know. Are you are yeah, you also a, a Confederate, you know, supporter? Do you have a flag and, you know? <laughs> uh, a lot of people don't like that word, but a lot of people are retarded. And a lot of people don't like that word either, but I still say it. There we go. I like it. We have, we have no rules here. You can say, well, there are rules, but no rulers here, so say what you want, you know? There you go. <laughs> uh... No, it's I, – I had a conversation not too long – well, I guess it was a minute ago now with someone about the whole secessionism and the history of the Confederate States and stuff like that. And, and you know, growing up in Texas, I think I got a sort of – I think it was uncharacteristically uh, whitewashed Civil War history. We spent more time on Texas history than we did in the Civil War history. Uh, sure. And it's – you know, I mean – but I think it was an important part of our time, and I wish it would get – the treatment it deserves on both sides. I, I'm not too much of a fan of the history being looked at as pro North, pro South, whatever it is. I just want, I, I think the honest interpretation of the history is so much more meaningful. The idea of 
like yes there were racial undertones to most of the decisions that were made but that is not the only thing that was happening no not all of these people were bloodthirsty slave owning jerks in fact most of the people who lived there didn't own any to begin with but there mm -hmm. were definitely undertones with that in the decision making and i think it's so much more nuanced of a way to, to look at the history and and then you could start talking about ideas with secessionism without it immediately being conflated with like oh what you want slaves back like did i say that did i ever once say that you know? <laughs> well so there's a lot of people out there that they're not in, they're not interested in what is factually correct and they're not they're not interested in having a debate they just want to score points and 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 do i gotchas so those are the kind of people that would say okay so anything Anything secessionist, anything southern, that's racist. But for for those of us who who know anything about history, you know, I have a history degree, and I the way it was put to me that I really liked is is that let's say for instance you or I was magically in Trump's position tomorrow, we're all of a sudden the president of the United States, or let's say all of a sudden we wake up tomorrow and you're a congressman or a senator. How would you go about making decisions on each and every individual bill? Now, of course, you might be thinking, well, I'm going to read every single one of them, and, and I have this very strict uh, – you know, I'm going to be a strict constitutionalist because that's my oath and yada, yada, yada. And, and I'm not saying that that's not incorrect or not, that's not correct, but I, I, can, I can make it really simple for you, and that is ask yourself with every single thing, does this make me more free or less free? Now, yes, obviously the South – supported slavery of course that is that is true and so for a slave they're thinking to themselves well this certainly doesn't make me more free there's there's no doubt about that um but but for the majority of people so i'm up for one i'm of the opinion that slavery would have would have died of natural causes in, in short order anyway but that being neither here nor there the the idea of decentralization just at, at, at a basic definition, has to make you more free. Now, if you decentralize from being a province to China to being North Korea, now you might say, well, that's not exactly a lot more free. But, I mean, you're free of Beijing, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you have a long way to go, but you're still more free today than you were yesterday. They had to and put, so, Yeah, they had to build up that external support for the hierarchy of power it wasn't like they seceded and it immediately appeared they had to build north korea so that was their own failing there so yeah I, yeah i mean and, and and i'm and i'm you know i'm kind of making wild little analogies here but even even if oh, you yeah. use like the yeah. even if you use the confederate states of america as you, as you already pointed out yeah most by by a large margin most people weren't slave owners and of course the importation of slaves had already ended so you're only talking about slaves that were already domestically available uh slave slave trade was gone and of course as as people uh, always point out, you know, look, slavery ended in most all the rest of the world without a single drop of blood being shed. Um, why why the United States could not do the British model where you end the port importation of slavery um, and then you work to buy out the domestic market until all of a sudden there's no more slaves remaining and then and then you put a cap on slavery and it's done it's over and and people were compensated for their quote unquote property and again i'm not i'm not saying that they were property but the people who do believe that would feel that they were financially compensated and you i mean that's how britain went about ending slavery in the colonies um that could have been done here but the, the war was not fought because they needed to end slavery. The war was, was fought because they wanted to make it very clear that um, this compact is forged in blood and you ain't getting out. Yeah, 
It's like the beat in, beat out. If you beat us, you can beat out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the the yeah the gang initiation was the American Revolution in the War of eighteen twelve, and and you don't you don't get to get out. You're you're a blood for life. So, yeah, that is uh, that's the perspective I suppose on it. Since now history is apparently very subjective, that's my perspective on the history of it. Uh, I I do think just to kind of comment on that for a second, not to take up too much time, but I do remember reading some of Spooner talking about the British model and why. He didn't support it. And it was so I think we kind of almost did this to ourselves with the abolitionist movement, but they were completely against the idea of financially compensating slave owners for the ownership of people because it is invalid. They were not property, etc. So mm-hmm. um, not suggesting, again, that val- validating the idea of people's property is good because it's horrible and amoral and, and just garbage humanity at its finest. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we also had very hardline abolitionists who were not going to let anybody get a single dollar for a person ever again. So I think, you know, yeah, it just adds yeah. context so, to the history. So, so from a principled standpoint, I would agree with Spooner. And, and yes, they're, they're human beings. They're not property. So, so they shouldn't have to be compensated because they're, they're kidnapping those people actively before our eyes. So I agree with that in principle. But, but in a historical context, if you were going to argue with me that the deaths of 600,000 people in the states was a, was a preferable outcome to, you know – uh, inflating the current, you know, doing some quantitative easing circa 1859 and buying up the slaves. And dude, you're an idiot. Come on. Yeah. Six, six, uh, how many was it? 600,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the number that, uh, pops out to my head. You know, that's the, uh, what, what people don't remember is you, you know, you look at some of the civil, civil war battles. Um, you, you, it's not, of course, obviously that was a, a warfare, that was particularly brutal, but before what we would call modern warfare, like thinking like World War One and and after, um, but it was definitely a a war of brutal attrition. Um, you know, I, I saw somebody had said in chat it was the most costly war in American history. So if you if you consider both Confederate and Union soldiers to be Americans, then it's so far and away the most costly war in American history. It's 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 not even remotely comparable. Um, but but the simple fact that you you look at a lot of the battles and the, the way the battles were waged, um, you know, think thinking of Burnside marching his troops uh, across the river into uh, Lee's cannon fire, um, they they purposely engaged in battles that they knew would have an enormous human cost, because in the in the in the mind of someone like an Abraham Lincoln, there was no human cost too great. In order to preserve the union, mm-hmm. even if even if the union as it stood was literally the utopian society we all wanted for all the history of man, even if that were true, to 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 disregard the value of human life in such a way is exactly why Lincoln is bottom three worst American leaders of all time. Wow, that's a that is a very controversial opinion to take there. I know a lot of people who are fans of history don't value him as high as most people do. Um, I think his Mm -hmm. also tragic end along with his controversial presidency, get him a lot of spotlight with this. I mean, I say tragic, but some would say fitting if you're of that opinion. Um, But I think it gets him a lot more spotlight and that just alone 
makes him more popular to a lot of people. I'm a big TJ fan myself. I think he kind of screwed the presidency thing up, but I like the guy. Um, it, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. Bottom um, three. That's that's very low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bottom three, but he's pro- but he's not last place. Woodrow Wilson's dead last. Oh, he's a garbage. Garbage, yes. garbage president. I yeah. mean, the only reason Lincoln is not last is because he didn't figure out a way to make the American Civil War involve Europe. <laughs> if he could have uh, pulled that out and all of a sudden it were – if World War One had happened in 1863, then Lincoln would have been the worst, but he's only second. So who's the second to worst then? FDR? FDR. There yeah. we go. Called it. Yeah. Without a doubt. We already had Wilson yeah. done. FDR had to be on there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely bottom bottom three. Um, if I was going to round out a five, I would probably add Teddy Roosevelt in there, which that actually makes uh, some of my uh, history friends upset because they they like Teddy just be more because of the persona. And You're not a fan of the Bull Moose Party? I mean, come on. Not not <laughs> particularly. So so an, an argument that I've written about uh, that I've I've written an article about in the past is that uh, in my mind Teddy Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson was definitely. D- tilted the scale of the imperial presidency to a point of no return, in my opinion. But Teddy Roosevelt, in my mind, was kind of the 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 Bush Cheney neocon foreign interventionist fr- of a hundred years prior. Is Teddy Roosevelt? Dang. Well, yeah. I mean, he did have the Great White Fleet. You know, mm-hmm. speak softly, carry a big stick. These are all things that originated from the Roosevelt presidency. So. Uh, our, our conquest into the East was all through him. So, yeah, so exactly. Everyone loves the quote of speak softly, carry a big stick because of what it, what it stands for, except for that's not what he did. What he did was speak softly, carry a big stick, but also use it a few times. Cause Hey, we built this fleet for nothing, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, we were, we are in no big war. So I guess we'll sink some junks. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, so I got to ask now that we're talking about history, what is your favorite period of history and who's your favorite American historical figure? Those are my two questions. Uh, that's, that's really hard questions. You got, you got to submit these in advance no. to TGS Allen Bosley. That's, that's, you that's really live experience. Here. Okay. So I would, I would say uh, favorite historical period is probably Late eight, late nineteenth, early twentieth century. I mean, I, I grew up in the South, and I and I've always been kind of a big Civil War buff. But it, as in in recent years, I've I've become more uh, of a fan of kind of the maybe the Progressive Era and the, the the periods of time that you learn about in school for like two a week and a half, and then you never talk about ever again. There's <laughs> actually a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, in when like through the mo- the more industrial periods of the nation's growth and stuff. When, uh, you know, when someone like a Murray Rothbard says, look at this period where, you know, we had relatively low intervention and you have, um, you know, recessions that never grow into depressions and you have relatively stable currency. It's like that kind of tipped me off to, huh, so these huge swaths of decades that my teacher never talked about more than five minutes. That's because the reason they have nothing to talk about is because things didn't go to shit yet. (laughs) That's that's what they don't talk about. Um, is, as far as character, um, probably president Tyler. Really? Um, yeah, it's, there's, there, there have definitely been 
you know, it's it's easy to name all the presidents that were terrible. Uh, I, you know, I can't recommend uh, Brian McClanahan's book enough. The uh, the nine presidents that screwed up America. It's a good one. I've read uh, it myself. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a really good book, and and he, and he makes the case very well. But he also has a few um, tips of the hat to some of the better executives out there. And while I don't particularly agree with there even being a presidency or a state for that matter, um, you know, someone like a Tyler who, you know, basically has the attitude of, well, you know, my, my, my party is turning its back on me because I won't just shove their agenda down the other party's throat while we control the office is exactly why he said, okay, then, well, I guess I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll figuratively shut down Washington for as long as my term exists. And, and in, in my mind, that's what a Ron Paul presidency would have looked like, right? Like he, he could have brought all the troops home because he was the commander in chief, but everybody used to say, well, there's no point in voting for Ron Paul because he'll never get anything passed. Well, yeah, he wouldn't, Good. but for the four, but for the four or eight years he was president, literally nothing would happen in Washington. Those probably be the best eight years of your life. Yeah, exactly. That's, I, I I hate that. Everyone's like, oh, we got a gridlocked house or, you know, the Senate won't pass anything. Mitch McConnell's shutting down the government. I'm like, good. Thank God. Yeah. Mitch, yeah. I hate Mitch McConnell, but thank God he shut down the government. Good. They can't screw anything up. I don't like anyone who is – it's difficult to tell where their chin stops and their neck begins. <laughs> um, John Bolton also fits that bill, by the way. John Bolton is creep. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. He's – I do really enjoy those memes, though, of like zoomed in on his mouth with the mustache. And it's like, did somebody say Iran? You know, those. I mean, that's just how I feel like I could just be talking about it. And John Bolton just walk in the room. Sorry, I, I heard you say something about Iran. What was that? Can you say it again for yeah. me? <laughs> it, the, the, the only thing that I lament is that they didn't bury him next to McCain. Like they should have gone together. I really think that would have been more appropriate. It would have uh, probably been beneficial. I mean, that's a kind of, you know, I, apparently I'm saying a lot of controversial things here like I don't usually. But, you know, I I think a world without John Bolton, it's probably a more peaceful and safer one, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. So whatever he does and whatever, I mean, apparently the guy who's replacing him, I know nothing about him, but apparently he's just as much of a hawk. Um, he wouldn't be taking the office if he wasn't a hawk. I mean, that's we're, we're we're getting back around to the start of the conversation, which was you you can't spend yourself rich, you can't vote yourself free. If if anybody thought that you could celebrate for more than five minutes, they were mistaken. Because I I promise you, if if they have the political clout to get into that position, they're not one of us. Oh no, yeah, he's definitely not a libertarian. He's he's a he's got or Trump's got him in his back pocket, but. Um, I was just, I don't know. I was just hoping maybe the president wants a contrasting voice for his peace. I guess if you call him that apparently the dude's a pacifist, that's what everybody says. Now he's like the least violent president in any decades or whatever, you know, that, okay. and there's since, since we were talking about people who aren't real libertarians. So all these Trumpers that are infesting all the different uh, threads and Facebook pages and channels and and whatever and I've had some on on my programs listeners as well that you know I know and the, <laughs> the type of people I actually saw one earlier today he thought he was making such a poignant point um, it was an article talking about um, how they're sending troops to Saudi Arabia because yeah. of the 
the bombing of the oil facility there. Uh, so we're going to go help protect Saudi Arabia now. And somebody in the comments had said, um, I bet it's not a coincidence because Trump was just trying to open up some more land for drilling. And now there just happened to be a bombing in Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And I thought, in your mind, your retarded comment makes sense because in your mind, you think Trump was trying to do something good, but that evil deep state's out to get him. Dude, the, Trump's the one sending the troops. He's the commander in chief. If he wanted to open up more land for drilling and not send the troops to Saudi Arabia, he could literally be on the phone and 15 seconds from now, the troops would be on their way back. It's such it's it's. It's crazy to me that also we we sell them billions of dollars in defense equipment and then we have to go over there and fucking protect them. Like they have they have F16s, F15s just like us. There's a, have different avionics packages, but they're the same damn planes. They have an entire <laughs> military. They have they have jeeps, they have tanks, they have everything they need. They have an, an entire standing military. We train them. Like we do not have to send bodies over there. We don't. <laughs> if yeah. you really want to, you can move some boats over there. Since they're already in the water burning money anyways, move some boats over there. But the fact that we're deploying all these troops there is just, no, there's no excuse for it, in my opinion. Sorry, that's the outrage I, coming out, but... No, I understand. I know, I, but I know that when you say we, you mean the Pentagon because yes. I don't know about you, the, but I haven't gotten a single percent of commission on all those arms sales. Yeah. They haven't sent me a penny. So I, I do. This is some. I should. I usually say this in the beginning. I use the collective we for the sake of good conversation for coherency. <laughs> I do not support any of these things that I'm talking about, but I am unfortunately implicated regardless because if somebody in yeah. the middle east hears oh well the u.s is going to back saudi arabia that pisses me off they don't think except for that guy christian he's cool he doesn't like that i'm implicated in it so no now if you want to say something that some people might find controversial i'll give you one which is first of all you're right the u.s military has no business in saudi arabia or anything to do with yemen or iran or anyone else for that matter however i gotta be honest with you considering the millions of starving dead kids in yemen thanks to saudi arabia's blockades over the last three or four years if some houthis in yemen blew up some facilities in saudi arabia i i, I would do the same yeah no i mean we we talked about this the other day with uh, sherry being on and about this idea of the blowback and that if that was us, we would not let – if Canada was over bombing our people and, and blowing up school buses with our kids in it, we would not sit there and be like, well, I guess we deserve this. You know, we shouldn't have tried to be an independent free place. So <laughs> it just – it blows my mind that people are like, yeah, we need to be in Yemen there. They're really bad people over there that we have to kill. Oops, another school bus. Oops, weird. That was our bomb. Oh, well, sorry. And, and, the, and the use of language is important and not by mistake. So when they say things like uh, Houthi, you know, Yemeni terrorists blew up this oil facility or the or, or of course, they really want to say it's Iran. It wasn't Iran. It was it was almost certainly drones that were shot out of Yemen. But but if it but if they do admit it was Houthis out of Yemen, they'll say Yemeni terrorists blew up this facility. No, when you're actively blockading and killing Yemen, if you're Saudi Arabia and you're actively aggressing upon Yemen, that's not terrorists. That's just them fighting back. It's just a war at that point. 
point. But, I mean, <laughs> but there, you know, CNN's not going to say Yemeni freedom fighters blow up oil facility in Saudi Arabia. They won't use that language. They'll say terrorists because they have to frame Saudi Arabia as an ally. Um, I, I don't know about you. That's probably the it's easily among the worst allies you can possibly have. But here we are. Yeah, I was just reading actually. Uh, it's it's. I was just reading about this before we came on, and I wish I had taken more time. But I was trying to set everything up, and it was about how the Yemeni rebels said that Iran was would do it again. If the, and I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, if, if I mean I've been going by the statement, the idea that I don't think Iran actually did this. I've seen mm -hmm. nothing to support the idea that they did this. Um, but if we're going to go off of the idea that Iran didn't do it and it's the Yemenis who, who did these drone attacks, which is by all accounts probably the most likely thing that happened, and then they go out and say, oh, yeah, well, Iran will do it again. Is that them trying to shift the blame off of them? Is that them trying to – or is it fake? That's another one too. Did they even actually say that? Is it trying to dissuade people from thinking – this is such a tangled fucking web and I hate it. Well, it's I mean, on a basic level, they've they've wanted to pursue modern regime change in Iran so for so long now that they uh, they'll they'll cook, cook up any excuse. I will say this though, as 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 cynical and pessimistic as I know a lot of people think what I've what I subscribe to is, I will say this. I think I think that at least a higher percentage – I wouldn't say a majority even, but at least a higher percentage of people are not libertarians and are not even politicos. They're, you're, 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 more, you're more apolitical people. A higher percentage of people are anti-intervention today than for eight, 12, 16 years ago, and I would say it mostly because I think more of your regular Joes on the street who – again, or not your every nightly news type watcher would probably say, at this point, I really don't even care who wins and who loses. Afghanistan is a freaking joke. Yeah. Iraq is a freaking joke. Libya is a freaking joke. Syria is a freaking joke. And I, you, I feel like people kind of see the writing on the wall that at least one of our interventions is probably about to end. You know, let's, let's say by some miracle, um, Trump is Trump's behind in the polls, so he decides, hey, let's let's pull everyone out of Afghanistan. That'll bump me ten points, and that he does that to win the next election. Let's say that happens. The military industrial complex, if they lose Afghanistan, will want to replace it with Iran. I think it's more likely that he would start up a conflict with Iran to avoid now. This is conspiracy theory territory. You don't have to listen to any of this. If you want to say shut up, Christian, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about, that's fine. But I think I don't know how intimate you are with the current U.S. economics, but mm -hmm. what I will say is that we are in a not-so-great position right now as far as looking into the next few years and what sure. our possible growth or lack of growth or decline is looking like. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of precursors and markers that are making me concerned and very glad that I'm going to be a full-time student living off of my savings and not trying to find a job. Um, <laughs> and... I think that especially with how involved this president has been with the Federal Reserve, trying to get them to lower interest rates, to push back an economic recession, he just wants to get elected again. I could 100% see, well, I know the election's about to come around, but we got we to gotta go fuck up Iran. 
You get the boost to the economy from the military industrial complex. You get the increased government expenditures. Nobody asks questions on the budget when you got, when you're fighting a war, unless Mm -hmm. it's a a not real war. And, and then historically speaking, presidents don't get outvoted during wars. So maybe this could be a unique blip in that, but. So I, I wrote an article that's it's gosh, it's probably almost a year old at this point, but it's, it's still relevant. Um, that was called Trump, uh, the Fed, and a Game of Hot Potato um, that was published by Mises and Fee and a few other places that basically the premise of my article was is how can you on out of one side of your mouth say the economy is robust, it's never been better, and out of another side of your mouth say – um, please fiddle the interest rates the way I want them to, and let's 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 do another round of QE. That that can't possibly be because you wouldn't need that type of manipulation if the economy was half as strong as you're saying it was. So yes, for for anyone that pays a little bit closer attention than just the the market returns week to week, will know that we're yes, the bottom is getting ready to fall out now. But I, but I don't claim to be a prognosticator that could tell you if, if it's going to happen before or after this coming election cycle. But I definitely think it's we're in the next three to four years. It's oh yeah, it's in it's in the the coming years. It's everything is setting up again. We can we can mm-hmm. mitigate it or, or sorry, mitigate's the wrong word there. We can delay it. I don't think any of the actions if they wanted to mitigate it, they would raise interest rates right now and cause the market to correct almost immediately. That's what they would do. They would say Federal Reserve rates up three percent today. Have fun, guys, and they'd walk away, let it do its thing. But that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. They're going to push it back until we we build up another bubble. Yep. But you know what? That's you know what the funny thing about that is though. I'll give you a personal anecdote. So I I opened my business, my printing company, in about uh, 2008, and so I opened my business when the you know the the big the big market and mortgage bubble had just burst or was bursting, mm-hmm. and so I used to have contractors and and. Uh, home builders and those types would come in all the time, and they would all be telling me all these sob stories about how the market, you know, they, you know, they were making money hand over the fist the last five, ten years, and now they're they're going belly up. And and I would always tell them, I really have nothing to gauge it on because I've only been in business for like six months. So we, I, I opened my business in this recession, not had a business that was <laughs> successful, and then and then it went belly up. But I will tell you this: I bought my first house. Um, that was a foreclosure for $32,000. I bought, I bought, it was a small house. I mean, talking like a 1500 square foot, like $32,000, you know? Yes. It was a foreclosure that before the bubble burst, it had been valued at 69, nine and I bought it for 32. And does that mean that some poor sod lost their shirt that I bought it that, that had foreclosed on? Yes, it was. Um, it, but the but the moral of the story here is is that the only solace you can take is that if you have as diversified of a portfolio as you can, if you have investments, um, you know, say you've got some crypto, say you've got some precious metals, and you're able to survive the bursting, then go out there and, and snatch you up a bunch of property that devalues by 60, 70, 80 percent, and uh, you'll live like a king until, of course, the next one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, but it's, but of course all all yeah but all get all uh, all predictions wrong or your money back. Yeah, <laughs> all predictions wrong exactly. Mm-hmm. I I mean I I make no claim you know I'm not a, a a scholar economic 
professor or anything like that, or I haven't been published in major economic publications and, and whatnot, but I know what bond reversions are or inversions are. I know what predicating signs of bubbles bursting are. I know what an inflated bullish market looks like. I know it, the markers are here. And so I have, this is probably the one thing I'm the most doom and gloom on. Um, 2020 elections kind of scare me. Uh, in the 3% chance that the blue people win the, the, the House and the Senate, which is super low chance that that's ever going to happen. But if they win both the House, the Senate, and the presidency, I, that, that, that makes me a little bit scared. But I'm more of a doomsday, like, prepare thine selves for, these, for the economy than I am anything. Because that's, that's much less esoteric. That's a, hey, start saving your money now because you could lose your job. You could lose your house. This, this, that, and the other if you don't. And these things can ruin your... I know people who I was young during the last financial crisis and it ruined their lives. Like they sure. never, they never got a job back where they were, you know, they're mm -hmm. still trying to recover financially from it. They lost their house, etc. You know, sure. these are things that you have to responsibly plan for. I know they only happen 15 to 20 years, you know, really, but you've got to be thinking about these things. So that's just sure. my two cents on that. Sorry to get preachy for everybody here. No, but, <laughs> No, I mean, no, it's totally understandable is, you know, look, I, you know, I've been telling people here lately, like, hey, if Yang wins, you'll get a thousand a month. Um, hey, if Bernie wins, they'll discharge your student loans for you. So that's pretty good. And um, Warren, too. But, yeah. but, but but I'll tell you what, no matter what happens, though, uh, my whether whether you get your dis loans discharged or whether you lose uh, all your property, the one thing I know for sure is that another four years from now, they'll all be telling you this election is the most important one of our lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> No matter what happens, it always is, right? Of course. It always is. Uh, that's, <laughs> I, you know, that I think that'll be the year I vote again. It'll be this one actually doesn't really matter. When someone tells me that, I'll be like, okay, all right, I'll vote for you. <laughs> yeah. Just and, for the and, hell of it. Yeah. But, you know, again, as, as I tell people all the time is that if – like, look, you know, I, I like Thomas Massey in Kentucky. You know, Massey's, Massey's pretty good. Um, Amash was pretty good, but he's gone. So no, no sense in spilling much milk over him. Yeah, but yeah. but the problem is, is that you, you're going to need like another hundred Thomas Masseys to really make a dent in, in, in the state as it exists. And the fact of the matter is, is that if you were a Massey clone and you announced your candidacy today – your neighbors won't vote for you because that's not really what they're looking for. What they're looking for, um, everyone's looking for, I need to get mine because it's my turn. They're not looking for, it's time for us to bite down on the chin strap and take our lumps. No one's going to win any elections on that on that platform. They're only going to win on a platform of, um, hey, my my electric, it's our turn. Yeah, it's, it's, it is just a power cycle. It's... When is mm -hmm. it my turn to have the power? When do I get to be one of the rulers, you know? Or at least, when does my group get to be one of the rulers? And so they're not interested in you saying, hey, we, we're looking to, to take the power from the rulers and give it to you. They want, well, no, when is it, what is it my team's turn? That's what they want to hear. Yep. And Gibbs also here says, I've heard how the economy is terrible and about to collapse for 10 years. I get it. There are people who are just constant doomsayer, naysayers, whatever. 
you know, and, and take it all with a grain of salt too. I'm just trying sure. to do what I think is right and, and just let people know what I know or what I think is going to happen so that people can at least put it in your mind. Think about it. Put some time into it. Is it really that bad of an idea to save up a little bit more money? Is it that bad of an idea to buy gold? Is it that bad of an idea yeah. to, you know, diversify? Just think about it. I'm not telling you to change your life, that it's going to crash tomorrow, that you're going to lose your house. I don't know. But it is coming. Well, you know, and, and that's what I meant by the analogy of it being a game of hot potato. Because I, I would be willing to bet that the uh, that the Fed powers that be actually would agree with most of everything that you just said. The only difference is, is that you saying that ends proverbially with, therefore, we shouldn't have these policies. They would agree with everything you said, but they would stop right there and they would say, and therefore, we need to try to kick the can as far as we can and, and get out of Dodge with all the cash we can fill our pockets with. That's their attitude, not the attitude of, well, let's reverse course. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's or, or, or just continue the cycle. Maybe not even you know make as much money as you can. Just do it all over again. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out who's going to get bailed out this time. That's all I really care about. It's, you, you know, if if I was if I was really being a hardcore cynic tonight, because I totally never do that. Oh, what? Um, I would say that there's a, at least a decent chance that there's going to be some sort of action in the college debt bubble. Now, I I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but that idea is picking up steam amongst more candidates as the years roll on. And and there is absolutely a student debt bubble and I mean as 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 someone who who finished school not that long ago can tell you college sucks and it's totally a waste of time. Um, but I'm not, but I'm not going to preach to you that you shouldn't do it. Cause I, I think the people that preach, well, college sucks and it's a waste of time and money. Therefore don't do it. I think that that's a little bit of an ivory tower opinion. I mean, we I can agree for, that, that yeah. if you want the most direct correlation between you putting your time and money into something and getting higher wages on the other end, it's not a guarantee, yes. but it is the most direct correlation. Sure. Let's yes, that's exactly. The numbers are very honest about that. So, yeah. So, so one of my favorite books is the case against education by uh, Brian Kaplan. And, and he basically makes the case that, um, that college is the signaling model as opposed to, you know the skill skill set model or or whatever they want to call it. So the signaling model is is that when you get your degree from college, you're signaling to an employer not that you know anything, but that you can jump through hoops and say yes sir and and you know generally be able to pick up some tasks with some semblance of of, of you know competency. And and I mean it is what it is. But I but again I, at the end of the day, if I was going to make two big, in my opinion, not even necessarily big political. Uh, uh, fortune telling. It would be that uh, marijuana will be legalized nationwide sometime in the next four to eight years, and there will be some sort of massive federal level move on student loan debt in the next four to eight years. Yeah. Um, what is? I mean, I'm I'm trying to find the number for student debt. They moved it. It used to be on the uh, the debt clock, right, with the other debts. Yeah. But it's uh -huh. like $1.2 trillion now, $1.3 trillion of, of just student debt. That's it. Uh, yeah. Last time I looked at it anyways. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. $1.6 trillion in student loan debt right now. $37,161 <laughs> per student. 
And I, and I'll tell you exactly why there's going to be a movement on that sooner than later. It's because you know, things tend to grow exponentially, like not even not even 20 years ago. Like, yes, uh, education in this country was totally screwed 20 years ago. But in the last 10 to 20 years, there's been that much more increase in enrollment, that much more increased in administrative fees, uh, that much more bloating of student loans. Um, and so it's increasing exponentially. So so that means over the last one point five generations, you have a lot more people. Uh, moving into electorate age, moving into voting blocks that are affected by that policy, by that situation. So since you have a a a blossoming amount of voters who have skin in the game, I think that there's going to be movement on it soon. I think whenever employers started offering like, hey, basic for what all intents and purposes would work like a retirement fund, but are you put one dollar in, we'll match one dollar on your loan payments. Is when I is when you really have to start realizing that like maybe these things are becoming extremely unfor unaffordable without massive amounts of debt, and the default rates are through the roof too. And you know there are these restitution programs for just for student debt that exist for no other kind of debt because they've promised this money and handed it out, and they need it. Otherwise, like we we're talking about, it's it's a similar situation to what happened with. Uh, houses the second that people stopped paying down on all their houses and their rates weren't as, as convenient and nice as they were at two percent the whole bottom falls out so yeah but and you know what but here's here's the you know here's the rub in all this conversation though is let's say okay you've discharged a student loan debt i'm not i'm not saying that's a good thing you know putting it on taxpayers is a terrible thing mm -hmm. um but let's say it happens anyway or let's say okay there's another round you know the bubble bursts again there's another big round of bailouts and okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take another look at the mortgage market but here's the rub though is, are they actually going to do anything differently than the policies that created the bubbles in the first place? And to me, the answer is a vehement no. Like, sure, they can discharge student loan debt circa 2021, and they can bail everyone out and tell everybody that all the young families that just lost their first homes, sorry, not sorry. But in another eight or 10 or 12 years, there'll be another, you know, there'll be another, uh, uh, real estate bubble burst and they'll be and student loan debt will have ballooned back up to another trillion dollars. There's no reason for us to believe that the policies that created those problems are going to be any different after they uh, put a bandaid on it circa discharging the debt. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and the amount of student debt that's owned by the Fed is, I think, 65 percent, 70 percent, which means that we still have to pay. What is that? Basically, two-thirds of a trillion dollars out of pocket and i don't exactly mm -hmm. see 660 billion dollars lying around somewhere do you is there is there some kind of pocket or fund that's like almost our entire u.s military defense spending for a year which is also incredibly inflated don't even get me started on that but i mean yeah. we're, we're talking about like one of the largest budget items and we're just gonna like snap our fingers and and make that money appear out of nowhere that'd be yeah and yeah, Instant not not allocation. only yeah, Sorry. yeah, not only that, but there's you know it. We would be remiss not to mention that there's always the unattended consequences of uh, interfering in the free market. So let's say you've got a bunch of kids that want to go to school. So first of all, some of them probably shouldn't go to school because some of them maybe just are not going to be good students. They're not going to learn any skills that are going to improve them in the marketplace or the job 
job space anyway. Uh, but even of the kids who really want to go to school and maybe, yeah, they're bright enough and they've got some something to offer – um, there, you would you would be more likely to live in a world where there would be more private scholarships, more companies willing to put their money where their mouth is to train employees and send them to school, more private foundations willing to send send kids to school of every class, creed, race, and religion, or whatever. But those things tend to go down when when the government gets involved. A lot of people who would be willing to put money, put their dollars down to help a kid go to school will think to themselves, well, hey, I pay my taxes. The federal government's got loans. Go do that. And that is always a way worse outcome than it had been left to the market. Yeah, and you know, it, it's, it's kind of tragic almost the fact that we've reached the point to where a bachelor's degree – is so ubiquitous amongst, you know, uh, mm. middle class households and stuff like that, especially in up. It's it's so ubiquitous that at this point it doesn't even really mean anything to a lot of people. Uh, you know, you get a master's degree or something that I mean, that's how it used to be. You got a bachelor's degree and it was like, wow, you know, you went and got your higher level education and not at any point when I was alive or, or cognizant of it. That's how long this has been an mm. issue, but you know. I read an article the other day that was literally titled the bachelor's degree doesn't cut it anymore. And it's, it was this idea of like how you distinguish yourself as someone who went through the education system to put yourself ap apart from the rest of the workforce. Well, you're basically just joining the majority of the workforce with the bachelor's degree. And you, you need that master's degree or that higher level grad education in order to do that distinction making. And that is expensive it is difficult. It is time consuming. And the amount of effort you have to and money you have to put in to get the same result out is making the, the return significantly less than it ever has been worth. And and again, you can always find the hand of government in places that it doesn't belong that makes the situation worse instead of better. I'll give you a perfect example. So so first of all, so why does a bachelor's degree not cut it anymore? Well, so for one, yeah, there's been degree inflation, right? A lot of people have degrees. And yes, a lot of schools are giving people degrees that, I mean, between you or me, <laughs> their, their IQ is about the same level as room temperature, and somehow they got a bachelor's degree. So yes, that is a problem. However, it, all of that would still not be as big of a problem if employers could take um, greater care in who they hire. And I'll, and, and, and I'll explain that. It used to be, you know, employers could give you all sorts of aptitude tests. Employers could, could make you take an IQ test because just at a, at a basic level, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that there's people with lower IQs that are amazing workers, and I'm sure there's people with high IQs that are lazy SOBs. In fact, I, I know that for a fact, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but, but, the, but, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that if you had two people um, that you were going to hire to be your producer – and both of them, you know, didn't really have any discernible difference in in experience. But one of them had an IQ of 136, and one of them had an IQ of 91. I bet you you are going to hire the guy with an IQ of 136. Or if you could give them some of your own in-house aptitude tests, and one guy just overwhelmingly outscored the other, even if the guy who scored lower was maybe more personable or whatever, you'd probably be willing to bite the bullet and hire the, the zombie because he's just flat out better at his job. But government has passed regulations so that businesses can't do those things anymore. In a lot of states, businesses can't give any type of aptitude tests. In all states, businesses can't give IQ tests. So businesses have no choice but to look for other options to determine differences between employees. Where do they go? They look at degrees. You know, and I, I hate to go too far off topic, but I think a lot of 
and you know, to be honest with you, I haven't put too much thought into this, so you can just just call me out if you think I'm way off. But um, there was a time, greatly, not so much nowadays, for whatever reason, I'm not going to get into that, but that IQ was significantly believed to be very highly linked to genetics. And so mm-hmm. a lot of that legislation, from what I understand, is supposed to be anti-discriminatory stuff to help people who were genetically disadvantaged whether that is the truth of it or not as to iq being being that sort of genetic marker idea but i don't know i mean Mm -hmm. i would hope that a business obviously business has to look out for their best interests so this is just more me talking about i i hope they're i hope they're as acceptable as as need be and not maliciously doing so um well and it would be so, it would suck to be the dumb guy in a smart man's world. It really would, and not being able to get a job for that. But at the same time, I can't expect a business to make up for someone's incompetence. You know? Yeah, it, exactly. So, you know, I don't want to go too far down that road because you're getting into Stefan Molyneux yeah. uh, retard retard world, as I like to call yeah. it. He he kind of went off the deep end there. I'm um, not a Molyneux person, I'm, so we have I'm no not a Molyneux race realist type person that's not me uh but with that said so i you know i can fire that exact uh example back at you and say but but what if i'm the um you know what if i'm the native indian or african-american who actually does score the 148 on the iq test but they can't test for that and the job still just purely by chance goes to someone else with maybe some better documentation or some more educational experience or whatever. So it still affected you negatively, even though you were a member of the supposed protected class. Oh no, exactly. I, I a hundred percent, I was trying to play devil's advocate, but even then my shitty devil's advocate argument fell apart on itself as I was talking. So I can't come up with a, what I see is a valid justification again, without getting into that slippery territory of these people can't well, it, help themselves kind of thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and of course we can still always fall back on the, on the basic liber- more libertarian answer, which would be, well, the business owner who owns the business should make that decision. Even if he decides I'm not going to hire any blacks or Jews or anyone who has an IQ, you know, my mine's 143. So I don't want anyone under that, but I don't want anyone, anyone over that either. Cause I don't want anyone looking down at me. You, you grimy wannabes. So, but as if that's morally what the, repugnant as that is, yes, yeah, <laughs> but it's his, but it's his business. Yeah, and, 100%. Uh, you know, we, we used to have a saying around here that, uh, you know, I, I sometimes people will say things like, I wish stupid hurt okay, so that, you know, stupid people would be hurt for being so stupid. Or, <laughs> but, but, you know, I used to tell people, I, I hate laws that send those people into the dark. I want racist, repugnant morons to be out on display everywhere they go and to feel proud in their in their accomplishment so that i know who to not do business with yeah because now you have all these shadow racists in the background it's like we so i mean every time someone says racism's dead i know that's not true because i grew up a city away from where the grand dragon of the kkk lived so i mean i i knew someone who was it's a long story, but I knew someone who was a member and not a friend by any means, but you know, and they didn't want people knowing that they were a member either. <laughs> and, uh, you know what? I can, I can top that Christian. I live in Columbia, Tennessee. I'm yeah. about 30 minutes North of uh, Pulaski in Giles County, Tennessee. That's the birthplace of the KKK, yeah. my friend. You, so, <laughs> 
and I'm, not only that, I'll I'll give I'll actually give you an anecdote that might scare some people away. But hey, they're if if they're still listening to me at this point, they're not easily easily frightened. Mm-hmm. Um, I owned my, my printing business here in town was called the Print Stop, and I had a guy come in. He drove up in his red. Uh, 30-year-old uh, Firebird Trans Am that was rusted out the back. And you have a he mullet? Was a, oh, for, oh, as for a certainty. And, and, he's, oh. and, and, he's a, and he's a Bama fan, and he's wearing his ball cap, and he's got a beer gut, and he's just an old redneck construction worker. But, you know, nice guy. Never, never had a mean word to say to anybody. And he came in, and he asked me if I would make some business cards. And I said, of course we make business cards. What, did you have something in mind? And he and he slipped it across the counter. Guess what it was? It was it was business cards that was only that was actually only directing to a PO box because they don't even have a street address. And it was they don't go by KKK anymore. That's that's too that's too unPC. Now mm. they go by the Fraternal Order of White Knights. Oh um, wow! But but you, but you know exactly what it is. And and I just point blank asked the guy. I said, look. You know, and he and he he was not mincing words. He said, "Look, you know, I've been to a few places to try to get these cards made. Um, you know, a lot of people look at it and they say, nah, man, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do these cards.'" And I just asked him a couple of questions. I said, so "Like, like, you know, since I've got you here, you know, t- tell me the truth. Like, what what do you guys do? Like, if you, you got you got your little club meeting this weekend. What do you do?" <laughs> And he said, we're going to watch the football game on Saturday. Then we're going to drink beer and then we're going to play pool because they've got some pool tables out at the hall. And then we're going to go home. And I said, so you're not going to light any crosses on fire and leave them in the front yard or anything. And he said, no, man, there's not anything like that. In fact, he said they had a couple of black guys in their club. What? (laughs) Because, Because for them, it was just a social club out in the sticks. Now, don't oh get me my wrong. god, that's a horrible don't, social club to pick. <laughs> well, between you and me, if I was going to start a social club out in the sticks, I would find a different name for it than the Fraternal Order of White Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. I could think of a few better clubs to to join, but at the end of the day, he he never did anything violent or wrong he was always very courteous and polite i made a box of his cards for him and i'll even tell you i made a box of his cards for him and i'll tell you the day he came to pick him up the day he came to pick him up my girlfriend was visiting uh anna k and i've been together nine years now today so we were together for about one year around this time um and she is she's indian you know uh dot indian as we say not uh not tomahawk indian dot not feather Uh, yeah yeah, exactly. Uh, she was adopted. She's adopted to a, a white family here in Tennessee, but she's Indian. And and she was coming in behind him. And you know what he did? He took his cap off and he opened the door for her and she said, thank you. And he said, yes, ma'am. I, I guess, I mean, I you know, I don't really interact. I, I try to make it as a, a personal goal of mine to, to minimize interactions with that group. Um, and you know, I've, but I've seen some interviews and stuff like that. I know vice had, they like embedded one of their people in one of their, apparently, I think it was like Mississippi or something, a, a KKK mm-hmm. group, a white supremacist group. And they did the, put the robes on and they burnt stuff in the field and blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, had their talks about, you know, interbreeding and stuff like that. And the guy was yeah. like, he's like, what, why are you, what are you doing here? And they were talking, but. I don't know. It's just that's. It seems like if you're going to be a part of something like that and make a statement so 
bold, if nothing else, to be a part of an organization like that. You would, I don't know. I expect maybe it is about that public persona thing. Maybe it is about like, I'm going to, you know, put what I actually think in the back of my head. But now I'm just speculating. I don't know. That's it's kind of, <laughs> it's gotten me taken aback, honestly, you know? Well, like I said, if you and I were going to start a club that was going to meet every second Saturday, I'm pretty sure we would think of a different one yeah, than that. A way better um, name. hundred percent. Yeah. With that said, I got to tell you, if you told me, Alan, I've seen the future and tomorrow you're going to wake up and be drug out of your house and shot, I would be way more concerned that it was a bunch of statist commies that were going to do it because, you know, Ber the Bernie bros took over the fed. than it was going to be any of the dudes down here in Pulaski. Yeah, I mean, that's... And I mean that. No, I mean, that's fair. That's fair. You know, we can get started on cops all day for me, but uh, I saw a really <laughs> great thing on the internet today, and it was uh, a little mini rally, I guess, for Beto, who's taking questions. And mm -hmm. this woman was like, hey, you remember when you said you were going to take all the AKs and AK or AR-15s? And everybody was like, woo! And she was like, hell no, you're not. And I was like... Yeah, there we go. Now she's probably a status too. She's probably a Trump fan by all regards. But well, you know, and in the in the uh, in the immortal words of uh, Mance Raider, who goes by his real name now, but I still call him Mance Raider. <laughs> uh, he's been on my show a few times, and the really? very first time he came on, uh, he was he was on I think our like episode eleven or twelve, and we were talking about gun grabbers because that's that's a big deal uh, guns is a big issue for him and uh we had never said a swear word on the gold standard we were trying to keep it a pg rated show until that day when mance said and i quote no they're not gonna come grab the guns they're fucking pussies they're gonna send the <laughs> cops to do it and i was like well you're not wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, it's it's true. It's very true. I mean, it's, you're not going to see Nancy, who's scared for her life, apparently, that you're going to turn into a double AR-15 semi-full 30 clip caliber magazine per second maniac and, and go on a rampage. They're going to send the boys in blue over to your house because you're not going to shoot the cops, right? You'll shoot Nancy because you're a crazy guy, but you're not going to shoot the cops. The cops will take it. You know, that's their job. It's their job to put themselves in people's homes and confiscate their property. That makes it ethical. It's the cops that are doing it, guys. There's a law. Jeez. Well, you know, and, and the two points to that. So first of all, for all the people out there that are like, you know, if it, if it ever gets that bad, the people are going to rise up. And the cops would never go along with that. Yes, they would. If they wouldn't go along with it, they would fire them and hire a new cop that would go along with it because they don't work for you. They work for the state. I'm sure they would some absolutely. people would quit. But just like there are cops going along with these red flag laws. Like, guys, it's the same shit. It's just yeah. not as widespread. It's the same thing. You don't see cops leaving police stations in droves because the state passes red flag laws. Have have people already forgotten after Hurricane Katrina hit when they were going door to door confiscating all the firearms in New Orleans? Yeah, I mean that this isn't even a fantastical example from centuries hence. This was very recent and it was very deliberate. It was a big deal. Well, it should have been a bigger deal, honestly. But yeah, and and of course 
you know, every single one of those people would have been totally in their right to mow down the cops that came up their sidewalk, and not then they would be murdered should. in turn. Yeah, not they saying would... you should, but you have the ethical justification. It's your property. You have a right to defend yeah. it. Of course. And then and then they will come back with more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is – which in, – and to, and to that hypothetical example, that's exactly why if we were going to wax romantically about how we were going to live free, it would be away from here, not changing the system. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the most – you know, I've been relatively pessimistic for this show, but if it – if a gun grabbing legislation ever gets passed, I think that in reparations, like you're going to put me in a hole before I pay reparations for something I didn't do. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, those two things are like lines in the sand for me to where it's like, we, I, I really need to consider moving after that. Uh, I can't arm and defend myself at all. Basically at that point, uh, unless it's like a bolt action Remington and I, I, my handgun, which will probably have a magazine capacity. My handgun's probably going to be illegal in a couple years because they're going to put some mm -hmm. 10 round or eight round capacity on it. Mine's a 12 plus one. Screw me, I guess, you know, <laughs> and, and they'll get the bolt action rifles next. I mean, if, if they did, if they did get the uh, popular consent enough to take all the the ARs, quote unquote. I mean, the, the the next push, not two or three years later, would be well. You know, those bolt action hunting rifles actually are a larger caliber than yeah. than most people's mini. You know, so yeah, they would come for them too. I mean, it's, but it, that that is the natural. That's the natural state of politics. It's, it's always a trickle in that direction. It's uh, so, some wise – a friend of mine who who is a lawyer, so I mean you know, less than human to be sure. But a friend of mine who's a lawyer had told me several years ago that the reason – he used to be a, one of these strict constitutionalist type minarchists, right? He was the hey. type of person that he carried the mini constitution in his pocket and he – you know, he – he he could quote things left and right, you know, big tenther type guy, and and I support the tenth amendment. Center. Look, I'm a member of the tenth amendment. Center. I support them every month. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that that was that was what that's who he was, and he went to law school so that he could argue exactly these points. And somewhere along the lines, he changed his mind, and he told me this is exactly what he said. He said, "I changed, I changed my mind and abandoned all that when I finally had to come to grips with the fact that the way the system works is." We have to be on guard 24-7, 365, and every single little piece of legislation, every ruling in court, every Supreme Court decree, we have to be ready to go battle it every single time. Whereas they can reintroduce that crap over and over and over again because as you full well know, it's way harder to get something repealed than it is to get something passed. Yeah. So. It, they can they can introduce the no ARs for Christian Bill a hundred times, and if you defeat it ninety nine times and miss it once, guess what, buddy? You're in trouble. Yeah, it, that's it. And and a lot of laws are done that way. I mean, it, it's just it's a battle of attrition in most most causes. You mm -hmm. try you push the Overton window, and I mean, what, yep. it was literally four years ago, guys. No one's coming for your guns, everybody. What happened after, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, this is really when it started kicking off, in my opinion. But after the uh, club, the nightclub shooting in uh, Miami, um, I can't remember what the name of that club was. But the Pulse. Yeah, yeah. Pulse. Yeah. The Pulse nightclub shooting. Yeah. After that, everybody was like, look, your rhetoric is starting to sound like you're trying to disarm the populace. Nobody's trying to take your guns. Fast forward a couple years. Hell, yes, we're going to take your AR-15s and AK-47s. I mean, 
Look, yes. you, you can you can debate the slippery slope fallacy as much as you want, but we were fucking right. I mean, what? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh oh oh. For an absolute certainty, uh, you know, people who see things moving that direction are, of course, correct. But you know, again, I I can't really I can't really stress enough that that's that that. You know, like t take take just the last elections, uh, last couple of election cycles as an example. So the Republicans had the House, Senate, and presidency, right? And then they and then with Trump in office, they started to started to nominate Supreme Court justices. You got uh, what was it, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, right? Okay. Everyone, if 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 Obamacare was ever going to be repealed, root and stem. There's there's literally no better time than right then, but it didn't get repealed. Roe v. Wade still there, no problem at all. So then you have to ask then then you have to ask yourself: Was their goal to repeal Obamacare, or was their goal to get elected? Well, they completed one of those goals for sure. Mm -hmm. They didn't do the other. That still blows my mind. Not that I wanted again. Not that I wanted a, a full Republican government to just run away with the system or anything, but. It just shows you how per that party is so broken. Like, make fun of the Democrats as much as you want. The Republican Party is so broken. <laughs> well, it you know it just and again I I can't stress enough. I think it might have been Michael Bolton, uh, the founder of the Tenth Amendment Center, that had said on the show that at the end of the day, the moment that any politician at any level gets sworn in, you know, House, Senate executive, whatever, the moment they get sworn in, their job the very following morning is get to re win re-election. Their job was never to get anything passed to help their constituency. Their job was to raise money and get re-elected. And they, and they did it once, and they're going to start working on doing it again because that's how the game is played. So, I, you know, when you, when you come to those type of realizations, like – you know, let's you know, like you're thinking like anarchy or and you know, and anarcho-capitalism or whatever. Like those types of things take a lot of serious study. You got to read a lot of books. You have to be have to take a lot of thought to really decide if that's the type of philosophy you subscribe to. I don't judge the average Joe on the street for not being able to recite a bunch of Spooner, right? But. But the average Joe on the street can at least see some of these things we're talking about now. Like, well, you know, they they had all the tools, but they didn't they didn't pass this or repeal that. Um, they're they're only looking to get elected or reelected. They're not really looking to follow up on any promises. Once you start to get your average Joe on the street to come to terms with some of those things, then the next logical step might be to divorce themselves from the process as opposed to look for an electoral savior. I Yeah, I was having a big ethical conversation in uh, the wonderful Patrick Smith's of Disenthrall's Discord server mm -hmm. with some gentlemen, and we sat there and talked for hours about being boisterous, f uh, talking philosophy and ethics and whatnot, and getting all sure. <laughs> convoluted with that. And uh, at some point, we were trying to answer just some very simple questions about what an ethical system is to try to explain it to the layman in, in some terms, to make to make ethical voluntarism make sense. And then we all came to the conclusion that you can't just walk up to somebody and make voluntarism make sense because you have to understand all of the underlying principles and ethics and why these rights are important and why they get defended and why this isn't a right. And all of that requires education on what, what is a right, what is it, what does it mean to be an ethical person? And it's just this 
it's basically you need an entire course on philosophy and to read the last hundred years of philosophical history and then yes okay cool we're on the same page and this is why we do this <laughs> wait now hold on a minute christian are you trying to tell me you can't win all the converts over by telling them that you're fiscally conservative and socially liberal no you can't that win everybody <laughs> over that way yeah because that's not an answer that doesn't mean anything until you define yeah. what that is yeah, you're you're exactly right. That doesn't mean anything. And and you know, and a lot of people too who spend way too much time in the echo chamber will say that, well, you know, people people are really libertarian. They just don't realize they are because when you talk about freedom and liberty, they're like, yeah, man, I'm for that. No, they are not. They most people have have the things that they want and they'll get it however they can get it. And if they're told that you know, breaking a few eggs to make an omelet, in this case, the eggs being you and me, they're going to have their omelet. You are you are crazy if you think that the average American is a liberty-loving patriot. You're out of your mind. No, you, if you give them one agenda and, and you say, we can pass this political agenda you care so much about if you let us throw this family you know nothing about into a pit of sharks, and they would 100% mm -hmm. pass it. Well, maybe not 100%, but you get what I'm saying. The people yeah. that those policies affect or that their rule affects are not as important as their ideas are to them. And that is something that is automatically incongruent with a voluntarist society. My ideas and opinions are not as important as your rights. I can think sure. it is detestable for you to wear a tie that isn't perfectly tight and knotted every time. But I can't oh, make, no. yeah. <laughs> I can't make a law that says that you must do so because I don't like it. And obviously, this is libertarianism 101. But there are so many people who don't understand that on both sides that how are you supposed to get any other conversation or ethics or the nuances? How are you supposed to explain the nap to someone who can't even say, what do you mean I'm not supposed to force my will over somebody with threat of violence? How is that wrong? Yeah, well, it, well, and and because again, you know, in their minds, they would be they would be thinking to themselves, well, okay, we'll do the nap, except for if you're denying me what I think is a right, then you violated the nap, therefore I can blow your brains out. That's how they would see it. You denied I'm me not free health care. Exactly, and of course, <laughs> obviously, I think they're wrong, and obviously, positive rights are not rights. But yeah. but they would. I'm just simply saying they would see it that way. So even if on a basic level they agreed with what you said in their minds they would be thinking but i can't go on living without you know my you know someone's got to pay for my insulin i can't pay for it so you're trying to kill me so i can kill you and they they would they would totally justify that they wouldn't even they wouldn't even lose any sleep at night thinking of it that way no in fact they'd probably sleep better knowing that they now have a clear enemy in you mm -hmm. the one who won't pay for their insulin you monster you know, you never have to go very far. Uh, I tell people all the time is that in 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 all of us, we're 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 guilty of this too. Is you you spend too much time in the echo chamber, and you know, and you you do liberty after dark. You know, I do the gold standard, and you know, we, I've talked to a lot of really amazing, intelligent people, and you know, we we have our we have our communities that we try to grow, but if you if you ever need a reality check, you know, go go to Walmart. Especially at night, um, go into the comment sections of some breaking news from Fox or CNN. Now, don't, I'm not even getting into the quality of their news. I'm saying go into the comments Comment. underneath the report. Oh no! And, 
Oh, yes. I, I'll tell you what. So John Miltimore, who's an editor for Fee, um, the very first thing I ever had published by Fee, he had told me, Alan, don't read the comments. That's just that's just friendly advice to you as a guy who's 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 recently picked up writing. Um, we, we you know, we're publishing whatever this thing that you wrote is. Don't read the comments. And, and his and the point being was, is that, look, your comment was the article. That was your you got like a whole 1200 word comment. It was called the article. You don't need to make any more comments. The the people in the comments who, where when you write, you know, 1400 words talking about how you think we're in a bubble economy and it's about to burst and their comment just says wrong, stupid cuck. Like <laughs> that's that's just win. That's just noise. Your but your comment was the article, so be be content with that and move on. Don't read the comments. But the whole point of this little spiel was, is look, if you ever get to thinking that libertarians make up 30% or some crock of crap like that, go read those comments, my friend. You'll find out really quick that's a, that's a little bit too high. Yeah, I think it was the poll that I was talking about was from, it was like people who identify as libertarian if you first explain to them that it, oh, well, are you fiscally conservative and socially liberal? It's that that whole ploy. If you then explain that that's what libertarian is, they'll say, oh, well, that's me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly how they say it, too. And they'll and they'll be they'll be completely on board with you until you hit on one social issue or one program that's their sacred cow. And you will be amazed at how quickly they will transition to. But if you touch this, I'll literally blow your brains out. Yeah, and 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 that can and you, know, and you know what that can sound that can always sound harsh, but I I say now see I say this is what I say to my uh, conservative friends who aren't quite on board with the liberty message is I tell them look man, if you don't go along with what President Bernie Sanders says, they're gonna blow your brains out, and they would say nah man they're not gonna do that, and I'll say okay don't pay your taxes then if you don't want to discharge yeah. everyone's student loans don't pay your taxes they're gonna blow your brains out and they'll say no they won't they're gonna find you no no no. Don't be a pussy. Don't pay the fine. They're yeah. like, well, they're they're going to send police. Well, if police come on your property, you better shoot them, right? Because they're trying to rob you. Dude, if you don't go along with them, they will kill you. And At that is the point. key. That is, that is always the underlying threat to any status measure. And that underlying threat doesn't exist in any type of libertarian philosophy or, or – I, I, well, I was going to real libertarian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I – Hey, we can go down that road if you want. I'm be I'm more than happy to. I call people fake fakeritarians all the time. I, I definitely think there's a line. I did just want to say real quick though that as far as like having convert and I I feel like in the last the more I talk about this and the more I learn and the more I read, the think the more adept I get about sharing the idea and the easier it is to have conversations without them turn not on the internet. Fuck having conversations on the internet. I've given that up a long time ago. <laughs> but having real people conversations that don't involve into like people throwing chicken legs at each other you know um i think i think it's gotten a lot better in that regard but the biggest problem the biggest problem that i have and this is just something that's just so fundamental to me now i don't know how i never saw it but we all at one point were the same way is that i can't for the life of me get people to understand that every threat everything the government does is underlying a threat a death threat 
Like, not, mm-hmm. not a threat of, of anything else. Everything they do is an underlying death threat. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like you said, you don't pay the fine, you refuse to go to jail, you defend yourself, you die, or you just don't defend yourself and you still die because you refuse to go with them. You could not do a single violent thing to them, and you'll still probably die if you just flat-out refuse. Or kidnapped. You know, That's, you know... We we had a story here uh, up in Nashville. Uh, I guess it's been a been a couple of years now. Of a uh, it was actually a vet, which I could care less. That just means he served the empire for a few years. So screw him. But some vet um, he overheard a domestic violence situation, like something was going on across the street or whatever, and the police came and the police saw him first. And he had a gun on him, so they just blow the dude away. Oh now, my god! He ends up he ends up returning fire, and he he hits a couple of the cops, and he ends up living through this initial barrage, if you will. Now, of course, obviously, the moment he can roll out of the hospital, he's going to jail. They're 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 throwing man they're throwing first degree murder and everything on him and. Uh, assault with a deadly weapon, blah, 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 blah. And he ended up beating it. This is actually a happy story that Good. he ended up beating it. And, and justice was served in so much as the cops were totally in the wrong. They totally misidentified the situation. He was totally within his right to defend himself. But the point being is, is for one, this is, this is, this is the exception, not the rule. No, 100%. And two, are, do, do you really want to, do you really want to bet your life on, well, I can kill the first SWAT team, surrender to the second, go to court and win the case? If that's what you're betting your life on, I think you're better off moving to Quintana Roo with yeah. <laughs> if, if that's where you're at, if that's the conversation you're having in your head, like, we really need to just go. Like, honestly, this is no longer the place for us. Oh, man. it's People yeah. don't like hearing that. They want to make America the way that they want to make it but i i just the longer this goes on and the more i talk about it and the more i learn like i said it's so true is it is it not more reasonable to just try somewhere else that isn't you know that's more feasible and you know and i've i've rubbed a lot of people the wrong way and lost and lost viewers by being a very staunch enemy of the lp i've always made fun of the lp in in many many episodes i've cracked lots of jokes at the lp's expense we actually have a segment on sports ball called lp team of the week and what the lp team of the week is is that if there's like say for instance there's uh, I think last week's LP team of the week was the Oakland Raiders oh, because no. they ended the first quarter with the Chiefs up 10-0 and then they got blown out the rest of the game. So that makes them the LP team of the week that you thought there was a chance and then they get crushed. That's what makes you the LP team of the week. Nice. So I mean we we constantly make fun of the LP. And I and I and I rightfully make fun of them because one in my mind they're a joke and not libertarian. That's the biggest problem with the LP is a whole bunch of them are not libertarians at all. They need to get that word out their mouths, as they say. And the second problem is is that if 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 you think that like we're even in a world where oh my god you guys we better affect some real change or else like the or else being we're we're doomed to a state of slavery. Like if that's what you think. Then you need to be playing an exit. Yeah. It's like uh, Stephen Hawking's before he died. He was like, forget trying to save the earth, guys. We just need to get the fuck out of here. And I mean, that's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he's, I, I 100% support that idea. It's like, 
you know? I mean, not that we shouldn't try to preserve the earth, but at some point we are going to reach critical mass and there's no amount of renewable whatever that's going to keep 20 billion of us from <laughs> destroying the planet. So we need to figure out a way out. How do you get 20 billion people off of a floating space rock? You know? Well, you know, you know. Look at it this way. I, I take the opposite view. So this is this is Saturday the twenty first, and UT got crushed by Florida today. So I've, I've been hearing a bunch of UT fans, University of Tennessee, mm. saying, "Let's actually all increase our carbon footprint so that the state of Florida is underwater." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what they. No, look, I don't, I don't even want like that's a whole other subject I want to go into. Oh like, no, I'm yeah. I'm gonna love eating meat. I'm going to love transporting myself with a vehicle that consumes gas. And um, if if for some weird reason I can't do that here, I just need to go somewhere that I can. Yeah, I was just bringing it up for the whole exit analogy. But no, I, I've oh, made yeah. no friends with the LP. I am would not consider them my enemy either. I think they have a purpose that they aren't fulfilling. And so I had this conversation once with somebody. Is that what I, if the LP has to exist, if we just have to have an LP... I want you could still run candidates, whatever. I want you to run NAP compliant candidates like Patrick Smith did with the governorship in Texas. I think he did an amazing job with that. Absolutely fantastic. If we could run all candidates like that, they don't have to win at all. None of them have to win. They can just be educators like he was. And that's what I want yeah. is I want the LP to be the marketing team. You don't don't focus on winning. You don't have to do any of that. Don't put legislation out there or make plans and policies because you think that's going to get votes. You're never going to win. Market real libertarianism. And then you don't have to win. One year it becomes 3%. The next year it's 4%. And then 5%. And the next thing you know, parents start being libertarians and raising libertarian children on a larger scale. And it's this we're, we're playing the long con here, guys. Like, stop trying to get elected tomorrow and just be the marketing team. So, so I agree that they should be the marketing team, but I would say no matter what your strategy is, you're never going to get elected. You're never going to win the game. The game yeah, is rigged. But, but with that said, you know, they used to be the party of Harry Brown, right? Like yeah. <laughs> they used to, they would nominate someone like Harry Brown that would go on any radio station, any talk show, anybody that would have them. And he would, as, as Sherry likes to say, he talked that shit. I mean, and I'm talking deep, hardcore um, abolish social security, abolish the department of education. Um, if, if he were here today, it'd be to abolish the department of Homeland security, abolish the TSA. It wouldn't be none of this. Well, you know, I don't like the way they pat people here and there, or, and it wouldn't be any of this. Well, we got to phase it out because we have to take care of, it wouldn't be none of that. It would be end it all today or go F yourself. That was Harry Brown and that, but that was the LP for a hot minute. But you know what? Those days are long behind us because now, Nowadays, they're a political party, and political parties are about promoting politicians. Harry Brown was about promoting libertarianism. Today, they're about promoting politicians. I don't, I don't like that. I, yeah, that's my biggest complaint, honestly. I think they historically, I, if you went back and were like, hey, uh, what do you think your odds of getting elected are? They probably would have said negative one percent chance of getting elected. It that's it's was never about that. It was never about that. I think it was a huge mistake when leadership got in and then said, we have to start fronting moderate candidates that can get elected. and Then we can do the real stuff. Because what's happened is, is that there isn't even any real stuff. Any I mean, there is real stuff. But mm -hmm. in the LP, there's no real freaking libertarians in the LP anymore. Do you know how many times I've heard someone in the LP talk about how we need a wall? 
I'm like, are you high? What <laughs> what tenets of libertarianism are you smoking? Because Jesus, get it away. Now, now don't get me wrong. If you and I can go start our free society somewhere, then yeah, we do need a wall. We need a wall to keep the United States government out, but, but not as on my far stolen as stolen tax dollars and stolen yeah, property, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just building a wall around the U.S. No, that that's that's just so utterly ridiculous. Um, I, I noticed that somebody in the chat there, Donnie Smith, said, "What do you think about Adam Kokesh? What do you uh, what do you think about Adam Kokesh, Christian?" Well, first off, I'm going to be the minor buzzkill and say that that's not how the presidency works. You don't just get to walk in and abolish the federal government. Um, and so as nice as it sounds on paper, like all he'd be doing is making a giant jackass of himself. Uh, it's not, it's literally not delegated constitutionally. And if we're talking about in the system, you have to play by the system's rules. All, literally all that has to happen is him be like, it's all abolished. And then the, the Supreme court will be like, uh, no, it's not. And then it's, it's done. I mean, he didn't do anything. And then what does he do? Does he sit up there and twiddle his thumbs for four years until he gets replaced. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the whole premise is, is broken to begin with. Yeah. So, th so this is what I would, I would say to answer Donnie's question. Um, so from a strategic standpoint, he has a 0% chance of ever getting elected unless you're running as a Republican or Democrat. So it's a moot point anyway, from a personal perspective, I think Adam really wants to be a martyr. I don't. I want to. I want to die old and rich and fat and happy. Um, I don't. I don't want to die for the cause. I really don't. And, and and I and I think that that's that that sort of romanticism is way overrated. It's powerful. I mean, but I get what you're saying. He has a history of, like, walk. I mean, criticize him as much as you want. He had every right to walk into Washington D.C. with that firearm, whether whether or not it's legal is completely different. Whether he did it for attention, I have to concede the fact that he he didn't he, he did what he was he did ethically what should have been allowed. He didn't hurt anybody. He wasn't threatening anyone. He was carrying it, not even at a ready position. It was on his strapped to his back, and you know he went to jail for it. Whatever. Uh, was he trying to make himself a martyr? Probably. Was he trying to get his name out there as the guy who did this thing? Probably. Did anybody care? Not really. No. No, not, not really. really. I mean, not at all. The the people who <laughs> think libertarianism is crazy would point at that and say, "Hey, that's crazy." This and the people crazy. who like yeah. and the people who like Adam would point at that and say, "You know, go Adam, kick ass." And that's and that's cool. I mean, again, I never said you shouldn't do this if that's what you want to do. I, you know, more he power to you pretty horribly mistreated and i i think that was more prevalent to getting some kind of message out there than anything to do with what or why he was doing it i think because i saw more stories about the things that were done to him in prison than i did anything mm -hmm. about his activism as to like why he did it why he was exercising his rights trying to get his name out there trying to talk about what he's doing um because, I mean, he was the one who did, like, the roadside activism, too, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I just – do I appreciate where his heart is at? Sure. I think – I'm not, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. I think it's completely ridiculous, the idea. Um, completely ridiculous. So, so you know, I, I look at this sort of the exact same way as um, 
Oh, what was Peter Schiff's uh, dad's name? Was it Adam? Was it Adam Schiff? Was it Adam Schiff? I I, for, I forget. I'm 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 terrible for not remembering. But but Schiff's dad, you know, he he died in prison for quote unquote tax evasion. But you know, he was <laughs> he was taking that principled stance of hey, taxation is theft. I'm not going to pay this. What? Okay, great. Whatever. Um, he, it is what it is. And if someone out there was inspired by his sacrifice, then I, I suppose that's all well and good. But again, I take the Higgs approach, which is if you're if you're if you're that if you're him, if you're a relatively well off investor or financial guy and you've you've made some money in your day and you have the means to escape or start off, start again elsewhere or leave the country and you're deciding between should I be a martyr for the cause or should I pick up my wife and kids or whatever and get the heck out? Um, dude, get the heck out. Like I, I, yeah. I don't even know how this is a conversation. Like, dude, get get real. Like I, I would much rather have a whole bunch of cowardly running for their life alive libertarians to spend my time with than a bunch of martyrs. Erwin er Schiff was his name. Erwin. Okay, yeah. Erwin Schiff. There you go. But he was very much, you know, this comes back to what we were talking about earlier. He was very much a romanticization of the idea of we can fix America. And I think, like you said, like I think it leads into this dogmatic idea that we should be putting that above us. This, mm -hmm. this landmass, this geographical landmass is not as important as you are. I promise. Like we have our allegiances. I love Texas, blah, blah, blah. If, if Texas had to disappear tomorrow and it just became Oklahoma, giant Oklahoma, I, and I had to pick that over my friend's life, sorry, like this, this landmass means nothing to me. It's just more like a meme than it is anything else. The United States as a geographical border as an existence is not that important to me. The only reason it is is because it rules over my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't give two shits about it. I'm not a patriot. I don't love this place. America is not the greatest country on earth. Etc. 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 Giant Oklahoma sounds awful. Oh, it sounds absolutely terrible. But at yeah. the same time, you know, <laughs> if it was ah, you would get to live in Giant Oklahoma or go to jail. Like it doesn't change well, you know, anything for me. You know, I'm I, of course I'm from Tennessee, so I would say you know really the only reason Texas exists is because of the volunteers. That's uh, <laughs> that's what that's why it really happened. Well, we but you, you thank know, you for your service. How about that? Yeah, yeah, you're welcome for my service. So, so, but you know, I I agree with you. So, look, I I enjoy I love living in Tennessee because there's there's a lot of wonderful people here that I I care a lot about, and I I love the rolling hills and and the the nice weather. Although, if I if I wanted even warmer weather further in the year, I'd move down to Florida or something. Uh, Anna Kay actually loves Florida. She wants us to. She we were there in Orlando for a time. She wants us to move back, and I. I got to tell you, again, if I was going to stay in the United States and I was going to do the best I can with what I have, then sure, I would just move to the state that has the nicest weather where I could make the most money or, or whatever. That's I, I wouldn't base it on New Hampshire or, or anything else. <laughs> but if I but if but if money were no factor, I dude, I'd, I'd be out. I'd, I would move to some tropical paradise somewhere where you know they're they're just as corrupt as the feds but they're openly corrupt and if you just hand them a couple of hundreds they they say all right move along and yeah if I that's mean, a voluntary it, exchange between you guys then screw it yeah i know? mean 
in 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 essence, that's that's exactly the way it is here. They would just call it property tax or sales tax or you know whatever whatever tax they want to call it. But it, I mean, in essence, it's it's basically the same system. So if I if I have to choose between which banana republic I'm gonna pay bribes to to live, I'll I'll go live in a tropical one. There was a quote from somebody that said that it was like I I want to go live on the island of a dictator. And they were like, why would you ever want to go live on the island of the dictator? And he's like, well, then I just pay him for my mansion and just give him some exuberant amount of money. And he leaves me alone because I'm funding his army. So, <laughs> yeah, if you have a lot of money, if you had a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and preferably those people are not enemies of the, of the CIA. Oh, that, that, that's also yeah. <laughs> that way. You know, uh, well, that's why it's useful to go with a few thousand people because then, yeah, uh, you exactly. know, you just build you up know, a community, I, though. If you move to Botswana, I'll follow you. Well, one of these days, I, I'll know, get there. I I mean it. I I definitely th you know I don't think I don't think that it's practical, and I don't think the technology is quite there today. But I think it's very realistic in our lifetimes, and I don't mean when we're ninety. See, but I mean in in yeah. I I think it's I think it's realistic that you could have a functional seastead or artificial island community of some kind. In the in the next few decades, somewhere else in the world, where yes, you're still having to deal with some other sort of nation state to to lease that property or to to develop some sort of relationship. But again, if it's if it's if it's just going to come down to you developing that relationship with the the French Riviera or developing that relationship with Washington, I mean, dude, roll the dice. I think it was Anarcho Poco. Whenever somebody was talking, they did like a presentation on seasteading, and this was a few years ago. And mm -hmm. uh, so maybe you could educate me in this, but I mean, couldn't we just, in theory, go six inches into international waters and plop down a seasteading rig? Um, I mean, in theory, we could just secede in the state of Tennessee, but theories won't get us very far. So <laughs> yeah. I would, I would say that no matter what, it's not going to be done anywhere near the continental United States. Oh yeah, it, it, you're not going to do anywhere near the continental United States. They're gonna, they're gonna fix whatever justification they got to sell to your neighbors today to get them to go sign up to join the Marines to come kill you. They'll come up with some justification. I, it's gonna have to be away from the purview of the American empire. I mean, hopefully if we're lucky, the American empire collapses, but not in such a way that we all starve and then we can just start over here. But, you know, uh, I, again, it's, it's more that I could see it being at least a possibility in the, in the next generation, perhaps more so than I'm, I'm not saying that that's a great idea. Let's go sell everything we have today. I'm just saying that it, we, we we live in a world. I mean, like like look at it, we all we all got the, you know. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm an old man. You know, I'm I'm pocket computers. I, I, I turn thirty four next week, so I'm I'm ancient. Wow. I'm I'm dead. <laughs> but people younger than me, you know, you guys are young enough that you can go start a seastead somewhere off the coast of uh, Madagascar or something. And Madagascar. as long as you, as long as you can fight off the pirates and. I yeah. mean, of course, we do the show postcards from Somalia, so just go to Somalia yeah. and you're you're good to go. So and, and the civil war in Somalia and you know, hundred years war, whatever it is at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there you go. Yeah, it's a. But uh, you know, I like I said, I from I'm looking at things from kind of like a historical context where 
you know, a few decades or whatever. That's just a drop in the bucket. Mm -hmm. So I think when I say relatively near future, I'm thinking like 30, 50 years in the relatively near future. I think that that's going to be a more realistic possibility. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I had this conversation with Patrick is that he makes a claim that throughout history, humans have been trending towards freedom and I make the claim that in, I believe modern history, you know, obviously there are ups and downs, but the overall trend line, if you graph from beginning to now, is towards individual freedom. We just happen to be in the democratic republic tyranny phase um, of, of the transition towards freedom. But I don't see things getting freer anytime soon. I know it, it, it. I, I I wouldn't say that I necessarily disagree with Patrick that that just the 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 common man tends towards freedom over human history. I guess I would say that's probably true, but there's always going to be a ruling class that is heavily trending the other direction and is going to be more than happy to lord over their brothers and sisters and um as long as people believe in the concept of needing a state, needing these political structures, they will never achieve the liberty that that they may or may not be trending towards. As long as they believe that that is a – you know, this, this whole necessary evil idea, if you subscribe to that, you will never be free yeah. be, it, because there's – uh, there's one of my favorite quotes from Milton Friedman, you know, all those those really awesome like appearances he did at college campuses and when he was on Donahue and all those for, for the Milton Friedman fans out there. And, I, and I'm not saying I necessarily love Friedman as an economist, but he was an amazing speaker and uh, an amazing debater. And he, he had when he I think it was the first or second, maybe the second time he was on Donahue that, um, you know, he was basically talking about this idea of, well, we just got to get the right people, like, right? Like, you just elect the right people. We all go get out the vote, and everybody's going to be free and happy. And 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 then he had said, you know, do you, you know, do you do you do you think this world doesn't run on greed? Do you, do you <laughs> think the do you think the 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 communist commissar doesn't run on greed? Do you think China doesn't run on greed? And he said, of course, he's such a gentleman. He said, excuse me, pardon me. Do you think of do you think American presidents or don't elect their appointees on greed. He said, or he, or he framed it as, do you think American presidents name their appointees based on the, the value of the man or based on their political clout? Yeah. And of course, obviously you, you know what the answer to that is. Mm -hmm. And he says, I think you, I think you take a lot of things for granted, but unfortunately for us though, yes, I'm sure there's lots of people out there that don't like taxes. That's that's an easy sell. Yeah, taxes yeah. suck. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that are like, yeah, I don't think we should be in Afghanistan. That's not really that hard of a sell this many years later, 18, 19 years later. That's not a hard sell. But if you were to tell those same people, hey, guess what? I have a way for you to get out of paying those stupid taxes and not have to send your sin to Afghanistan. The way is uh, anarchist society. <laughs> they would say, oh, that's not realistic. We have to have politics. Yep. Otherwise, we'll just be Mad Max raiding each other's homes because obviously anarchy, you know, just devolves into chaos. Yeah, exactly. All the uh, – but, you know, and they're the people that would say that war warlords would take over, right? Yeah. As if, as if A, <laughs> that haven't. didn't already happen and, and B, that that hasn't been the way mankind has been for its entire history. There's always been warlords taking over. How about this? 
Uh, okay. Whisper brings up a comment that uh, I've talked about on the last couple of shows, so why not? We'll go ahead and talk about it with you. And once we're finished up with that, we'll go ahead and start wrapping up. But the question is, do you think Trump will be reelected in 2020? Uh, 85% chance, yes. 85%. Probably, probably, probably 90, 95% chance, yes. Um, and the main reason has it has very little to do with Trump, and it has everything to do with um, the the outrage culture just can't stop stepping on its own feet and eating their own as they, the left eats its own, as they say. And the, and the next thing is, is that if you look at a handful of the quote unquote democratic contenders, you think of a, uh, okay, Kamala Harris. Okay. So she's a, she's a pig. She is a woman. She's, she locked up a whole bunch of people in California for a bunch of nonviolent crimes. And She's not even a particularly good speaker. I don't. I don't actually think she has any realistic chance in the Democratic primary. No, I don't. Think if so I had either. to, if I had to guess, I would say it's either going to be Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, or Joe Biden. And of those three, don't. Uh, I think. I think Bernie has the least chance of those three. I think he's too old, and I think his best chance was last cycle. And of course, they had it out for him. And I'm not saying that that's right either, but it is what it is. Um, so if you narrow it down to Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden. Just in a vacuum, not not discussing anything else. It's going to be Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warden versus Donald Trump. Donald Trump will eat them alive. Joe Biden is a bumbling old idiot who he himself has done, has been a part of many, many programs that modern day Democrats would consider to be like extreme right wing. Like Joe Biden circa 1979, because God knows Biden's been in politics for a million years, yeah. would be a would be an extreme right winger by 2019 standards. That would disqualify him. And then that only leaves you Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren is a broken woman. I mean this, and I'm not saying this like I'm a sexist. Haha, she can't win. She has a vagina. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> she is a she is a broken woman. Donald Trump broke her, and I'll explain why in just really quick. No, you're fine. So that that whole thing about uh, Trump was mocking her and saying, "Well, you should take a DNA test. You're not an Indian. You should take a DNA test." For some reason, she it, it got under her skin so much, and this and this tells you the the control that Donald Trump has of this woman. She actually goes and takes the test, and of course, everyone knows that it, what was it like what one one thousand eighty fourth or whatever it was one one thousand twenty fourth Native yeah. American. So first of all, that's conclusive that she's not a Native American. By I don't think anyone would any no realistic person would say that that means she's a Native American. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it was a personal embarrassment. Second of all, she did it to herself. She actually took the test, actually published the results, thinking she had done the right thing. She made a fucking Trump, video about it, like a documentary. Then, <laughs> but this was this was the cherry on top, Christian. Trump's response to that was, who cares? <laughs> and so just instantly dismissing what was to her this career-defining moment, she is a broken woman who would be crushed in any challenge to him. And I'm not saying that I hate Donald Trump. I hate all politicians. Trump is a joke. He's a monster. I'm just saying purely in this vacuum, she is a broken woman and he would have a field day with her. Here's my only contrarian point to that. Okay. Is that primary debates matter. 
primary debates do matter because they are the ones mm-hmm. like they that is shown that polling and primary debates and getting out on the stage and putting on a good performance is very important. Presidential debates swing almost no voters. They are literally for the cable companies to rack in shit tons of advertising money and for advertisers to push out shit tons of advertisements. The, so the only, that's I 100% agree with pretty much everything you've said, but I think the, the data that we do have shows enough that there is, there is enough of a reason to suggest that debate, that the presidential debates don't swing over voters, that it doesn't matter how Warren does. If you've decided to vote Warren, you're going to vote Warren. It doesn't matter how Trump does. If you've decided to vote Trump, you vote Trump. Like once people in the primaries, once he won the primaries and was out of that, like it was, it was, it was pretty much locked in that he was going to get every single person who voted for him. Nobody voted for Trump because of, of Hillary Clinton. No, that was already pretty much decided. Um, and that's, that's my two cents from it. I would also make the slightly more boisterous, boisterous claim that based off of the data. And I know people hate this because the polls suck without the polls. We're pissing into the wind. So I'm using what we got. Mm -hmm. It's probably closer to like a 70% chance of Trump winning, which is way closer of a margin than any incumbent wants. But I get it. The polls are inaccurate. A lot of them are, are totally fucked up. I get it. But like I said, without some sort of data, we're just, again, pissing in the wind. I could say whatever if I don't have any data behind me, and it could mean anything. So that's my answer. Will he get elected? Yeah. Most likely. Very, I would say, almost guaranteed. Incumbents rarely lose ever. I think it's only yeah. happened like once in U.S. history, and but there is a chance, and there's a massive public pushback against the man that we really haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah, well, so I, I guess so. If you're specifically talking about just just from a general standpoint, I would say the. I, I still rate Trump's chance of re-election pretty high. And yeah, of course, the last elections where the mainstream media was just pounding all this Hillary stuff down everybody's throats. Mm-hmm. And remember, remember when the New York Times had that little th- had that little graph where it was like Hillary yeah. with a 98.6% chance to win or and something. she was going to win with like, like 300 something electoral votes. It, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, just just ridiculous. Um so I mean, obviously, yeah, it's it's hard to know what to trust, and and obviously we know that those people have agendas too. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that said, of course, I've had Lou Rockwell on the show, founder of the Mises Institute, and and man. he had he had and he had summed it up very well because of course Lou Lou is just like us. Uh, I mean, he's he's an anarchist. He doesn't care. Mm-hmm. With that said, he just he just loves politics. He just gets a thrill, you know. Out of I politics. love the theater. I'm not even gonna yeah. lie. I love watching yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, everyone knows the political theater blog over at lourockwell.com. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way he put it was is that, of course, in the primaries, everyone's running to the fringes. So right now, all the Democrats are racing to see who can who can outleft all the rest of them to be the biggest leftist of all the lefties. But then, of course, as soon as the primary is over, everyone goes racing back to the middle because the majority of America is neither extreme right or left wing. And I, of course, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a case for middle America. By the way, they're re- retards. <laughs> that, that just means they have no principles. If you had principles, you would always be one way. You wouldn't be flopping whichever way the wind blows. 
But with that, but said, I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal, Alan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's why thirty percent of people are libertarians. Yeah, that's right. But but still, the point being is, is that these all these Democrats, the the it started with eighteen. I guess they're down to like eleven now or something like that. Yeah, they're they're roughly. all going to race to the left, and as soon as one of them wins the left race, then their then their job is to run back to the middle as hard as they can. But it's too much. They've they will have covered too much. Ground the Democratic Party the Repu- you're right when you said earlier the Republican Party is a joke in terms of actual effectiveness and in terms of actually being quote unquote conservative yes the Republican Party is a total joke the Democratic Party is a joke for a different reason more in the sense of they're all playing like they're in primary season every year yeah <laughs> like, it's primary season right now but the Democrats have been in primary season every day since Trump took office all racing with each other to see who can be the farthest left. And the furthest left person won't win in 2020. So they've been running a race to see who will finish second. It's silly. It, it's, it seems counterproductive. And if your question is, well, Alan, why would they do that? I would say, well, I mean, in reality, we have to remind ourselves it's, it's not really two parties. It's just one club and you ain't in it. Mm-hmm. So this is, this, is, this is just all for show and fun and money. It doesn't, it's, Trump's going to get another turn because it's going to be another turn. And then it's going to be someone on the left's turn and – it, it's it's just a big game. I don't really care. But with that said, if you are someone who cares, Trump's going to win. He'll run against either Biden or Warren. He'll eat them alive because they won't they won't know what to do with themselves. They and and this is actually I'll even go a step further and say if their strategy against him is to try to outwit him, uh, they will they will mega fail. They're so going to take hard. the high road. That's they they know that they're not going to be able to out douchebag him. So they're going to try to take the high road, and it's going to be the most preachy, condescending crap you've ever seen in your life about how we need to be better than this. And he's going to laugh at him and be like, look at her nose. Her nose is so small. Look at her. She wants to get free college to China. Yeah, if if Warren wins, he will he will pound her into the sand with the you lied on all your applications with being a minority. And if Biden wins, he will pound him into the sand saying you and Obama threw more brown people in camps than I ever did. Yeah, and 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 he'll be technically correct, by the way, although he's still a piece of shit. Bernie has no chance. I'm convinced his. Yeah, like I said, I think bold claim, bold claim here. If Bernie got the nomination, I think we'd have a Bernie president right now. I think everybody was set for Bernie to just run through everybody. I mean, the dude had just the most massive unified public support in a primary ever. The only people who didn't want Bernie was the establishment who wanted Hillary. That's it. Go. Good luck finding a Hillary supporter before she was the, the, the primary candidate. Everybody was a Bernie bro or a Bernie chick. Everybody I knew that was on the left was a Bernie fan. So, yeah, but his time is gone. He's not even that far left anymore. Warren has so outlefted him at this point that he can't even keep up. He's like, what do you just want me to start rolling out the hammers and sickle flags to everybody's door? Like how much far further do you have to go? Bernie made the mistake of a aging too much and uh, B he, he kind of was on a nonstop campaign basically ever since 2016 right like he was he was he was on the warpath the whole time trying to remain relevant but a lot of times that backfires in american politics like people just kind of get tired of your face 
and they're ready for the next one. And I and and, and again, that just shows the collective retardation <laughs> of the American po- political system. I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. Voters are idiots, but still, I'm just I'm just simply saying that's my opinion on the matter. That his his time is up. And but but of course, like I said, I I think Biden and Warren's time is up. I think. Uh, Trump is going to win, and after Trump, and and once you know that Trump is is going to be gone in in another four years, there will be another Obama. There'll be another relatively younger Democratic legislator with a hair, a bit more charisma, um, a bit better speaking, and he'll he'll win in a landslide, partly because of that, and partly because it's the left's turn. Yep. Yep, yep. As long as it's as long as it's not Beto, I couldn't take that. Oh God. See, I think the Democrats need to hire me to write their strategy because I'm telling you, them not telling Beto to sit down, shut up, and run for Senate again was stupid because he was running up against Ted motherfucking Cruz. That is one of the yeah. hardest races in American politics for someone who's who has no federal level experience to just walk in. And and, mm-hmm. and win that, that that or almost win that. Sorry, almost win that. Like he yep. was so close. If he had just run for Senate again against what even I don't even know the guy's name. He's my senator. No fucking clue who he is. That's what I'm talking about. Everybody knows who Ted Cruz is. The guy ran for president. Like that was a super hard battle. If he had just run yeah. again, they could have gotten a seat in Texas. And oh my god, a blue seat in the Senate for Texas. That's how you. That's how you shake things up. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I know that it's almost time for us to wrap up, but I, I do want to say really quick. You know, you know, you might know more about this than me because you're down there. But mm-hmm. I have, when when Lou and when Ron Paul was on uh, the Gold Standard, we we discussed with both of those guys. I could see a world where Texas goes blue in the next four to eight years. It's a purple state already. Yeah, it's not could, in the pocket. You, uh, Go as much as we hate boomers, and 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 I hate boomers more than anybody. <laughs> go go ask one of your random boomer neighbors if they would have ever thought Texas was going to be a blue state forty or fifty years ago. No. They would have said you were out of your mind. It, it was supposed to be that t- Texas was always a red state, and California was always a blue state, so that it, it stayed, you know, in balance. There was like an equilibrium. Yep. The two big states kind of offset each other. But I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it was way too close for Trump. I mean, he he barely won Texas by, like, not the margins that he should have. I mean, if you look at other presidential elections and how you almost unanimously it's been in Texas for Republicans, I mean, it's been getting mm-hmm. smaller and smaller. But comparatively, Trump Trump barely got the damn state by, by comparison. And I am... I'm not claiming that this is like the issue of like immigration or anything like that, but but Texas is purple now. It's not a clear cut red state. There are massive democratic communities in Texas. So, um, yeah, and that's concerning. So I, it is. I would I would make the argument because there's some people out there that would say, well, if states like Texas are going blue, then that means the Republican Party is going to be like Democrat light and the Democrats will be Democrats. And they're going to do that because the electorate is shifting left. So they're going to have to shift left to pick up voters. They already I'm, are. I, what, well, this is, <laughs> hold on. Hold on a second. What I'm going to say is, is that. 
That is only partially true. Okay. The the more correct analysis, in my opinion, is is that people are shifting left and Democrats are picking up traditionally red states because the Republicans aren't actually conservatives. They are already – you have a, left, a leftist party and a further leftist party. Yeah. If the Republican Party took a hard right turn today, they would actually do better, not worse, over – three, six, nine election cycles because more electorate would shift back right and because they would identify with the party more. The pro- the reason why Texas is going blue is because the the random yeehaw Texan who wants to, conserv- to be conservative doesn't see a conservative party to vote for. Yeah, there was a lot of non-voters in Texas. Not for the Senate, though. That was big turnout, big turnout for Senate vote because everybody cared about that yep. one. Because they really did not want Beto being in the Senate, they uh, they didn't really want Beto. But as as you pointed out, he was he was damn close. Yeah. For or who he? Yeah. So for a drunk driving burglar Democrat who wants to take your gun to just go sw- swooping into Texas and challenge Cruz and come that close to winning, yeah, you better believe it. He should run again, and he would probably win, and and most certainly in an easier district or. To run to run for or get for a different seat, maybe he runs for the house instead. Whatever. Well, no, yeah, um, he could just run for the Senate again. He because this this cycle we've got someone coming up for the vote, and I I he doesn't have the public support like Ted freaking Cruz does, you know? Yeah, and you know, and of course, again, I you know, it's not that I care at all about politics. It's, it's more just the fun of discussing fun. the theater of it all. I can tell you the same thing is happens in Tennessee. So Tennessee has traditionally been a red state. Of course, obviously, you know Al Gore ran against George Bush, uh, 2000. He did not win Tennessee, even though that was his home state, and that was at the time considered a big deal. Um, I I didn't think it was that big of a deal because he was a Democrat and Tennessee was a red state, so I just assumed he would lose. And I, and I get that. Yeah, he wanted to win his his home state, and he didn't. But with that said. Look, a lot has changed in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Tennessee will very soon probably be a blue state as well because all of those Californians who are fleeing L.A. and San Francisco because it went too left are moving to Nashville and Memphis and Knoxville, and they're bringing their politics with them. It's a crazy idea to think about. I mean, I was having this conversation with my my dad the other day. And I was talking because, you know, he knows I does this, do the shows. We were talking about politics and whatnot. And he asked me, he was like, so what do you think about all this? And I was like, well, I mean, one of these days, Texas is going to be blue. Uh, Florida will be consistently blue. Most of the, mm-hmm. the, the swing states are trending bluer. Uh, a couple of them are still up in the air. But I don't know, man. Like the Electoral College is the most concerning thing for me about Trump. Because some of the margins he won those states by we're way too slim. Like he's probably going to lose Pennsylvania this year. He's probably going to lose both the Carolinas this year. Uh, and I think he only got South Carolina last time anyways. Uh, and it's just in Florida almost guaranteed to lose Florida. So it's, you start throwing things out there like that and it's like, okay, well maybe he'll win Ohio. And, uh, like if he loses Texas, like what do you do? You can't win as a red person if you lose California and Texas. You could get every swing state and it wouldn't make up for Texas. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, again, just talking about the theater of it all. It's just there are scenarios where he doesn't win this one. That's all I I want to make. Everybody thinks it's just in the bag. It's not that clean cut, but obviously incumbents rarely lose, et cetera, et cetera. I've been over that. So yeah. 
Well, like I said, if if the Republicans were an actual conservative party and were actually, you know, concerned with um, advancing conservative politics at a federal level, then they would take a hard right turn now, knowing that that would probably cost them in the short term. But they would grow. They would regrow the strength of the party in the long term because it would be viewed as an actual genuine alternative to a leftist party as opposed to a so uh what what michael malice always says is that conservatism is just progressivism driving the speed limit yeah oh that's a good quote actually yeah uh just for my last thing on that i i will just say that as much as i hated the tea party that's what the republican party needs is they need another tea party they need another hard line group of we stand for this this is what we do blah 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 instead of well i mean obamacare wasn't that bad now that yeah. he's you know <laughs> yeah well i mean you know to that point you look at the tea party you know what was what was mainstream republicanism's uh view of the tea party it was fight it off and then co-opt it exactly they, there, there was never and and the fact that they felt the need to fight it off and and put it down as a challenge just goes to show you that 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 was not a part of their strategy. Taking making taking a conservative bent in their in their politics was not a part of the plan for the Republican Party, and they're reaping what they're sowing today. Yep, it's it's finally starting to hit them, but. Well, Alan, I think we've been going for about two and a half hours now. I know. It has been a great conversation. Don't get me wrong. And uh, you haven't even asked me if a hot dog is a sandwich yet. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one of those unholy questions that we don't ask on this sophisticated <laughs> program. So, <laughs> no. Um, what do you – okay, I'll, I'll bite. I'll bite. What it – is a is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? Of, of course it is. Any real libertarian knows that a hot dog is a sandwich. I th I think there's a good case to make. And uh, is cereal soup? Uh, of course, cereal is a soup. But now, of course, keep in mind we're talking. You got to be clear. A hot dog sandwich is a hot dog on bread. It's not mm -hmm. literally just the hot dogs. That's just a piece of sausage. Yeah, yeah. Cereal is soup if you have a bowl with cereal with milk in it because milk is the broth and the you know your Cheerios. That's that makes the soup. Okay. And then of course we we've now debuted more recently legendary question number three. I'll give this one to you. Is a pop tart a ravioli? Um. Is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? If a Pop-Tart's a ravioli, a filled donut's a ravioli. So I'm going to say no. Okay, well, see, now I know you're a filthy statist. So, because yeah. it, Because, They're... indeed, a Pop-Tart is, in fact, a piece of ravioli. So They're both made of dough. A jelly donut is a ravioli? Well, that's a donut. A, ra but... a, a, ravi a ravioli is is one, one piece of a – it's one pocket with the contents in the middle. Yeah. And a, and a Pop-Tart is one pocket with the contents in the middle. Is it the, a donut, donut? One pocket with... Uh, say you don't have the hole in it, okay? You have a pastry then, a filled pastry. It's got your, your jelly filling in the inside of it. It's a dough pocket with your jelly in okay, the middle. Okay, yeah. If there's no hole, okay. then, then yeah, that's a, that's a piece of ravioli. Oh, my God. Absolutely. All right. We're kicking you off, Alan. You're done. All right. None of this right. commie ravioli crap on my stream. So. <laughs> oh, man. That's good. All this <coughs> all this talk, and it all comes down to the ravioli. I thought we could be friends. It was going so great. Yeah. But <laughs> All right. Fair enough. It was absolutely fantastic to have you on the stream. I'm sorry to kick you off. We will have to have you back on one of these days uh, and do, do some more conversations because I know there's more to talk about. 
And uh, Alan, go ahead, plug all your stuff for me, please. I know I did some of the beginning, but they can they can follow the gold standard with Alan Mosley on social media, which is facebook.com slash TGS Alan Mosley. Twitter is at Alan M. Mosley, but you don't have to do any of that. You can just go to our website, which is the gold standard podcast.com. Um, I used to be I used to be the gold standard with Alan Mosley. Now I'm known as the gold standard with the guy who interviewed Ron Paul. There we go. But we but we keep it gold standard with Alan Mosley because it's a shorter name. Fantastic. Yep. And uh, you guys are already on my YouTube channel. Uh, oh, do you have a Patreon or anything like that before we move on? I do. Bump so, it. Bump you know, it. this are, it is patreon.com slash TGS Alan Mosley. So it's kind of like Tom Woods where you just put Woods and check out of everything you buy. Mm. If you go to every website and type TGS Alan Mosley and see what comes up, you, you might find something. So if you if you like what we're doing, you want to support the show, this is what I, I need. I need like 400 patrons that that give me five dollars. Or five patrons that give me four hundred dollars. <laughs> but either way, that's patreon.com slash TGS Mosley. There we go. Awesome. I'm I'm glad I remembered that. Everybody's got one, but sometimes they're scared to plug them. So I felt like I'd, I'd go ahead and ask. Uh great stuff from you. Uh so yeah, if you guys are here, you already know where the YouTube page is. Uh thanks for coming out and watching the live stream. We have LibertyAfterDark.net where you can get me at contact at LibertyAfterDark.net. We have the Facebook page over at Liberty After Dark. And we do also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Liberty After Dark. Uh, even a dollar going our way helps to support the show. So um, I appreciate everybody that's a part of that. Alan, do you have anything else you want to say before you go? Um, God, I hope not. Uh, we've, we've, <laughs> we've, we've already solved all the world's problems, but thank you so much for having me. Oh yeah. It was tons of fun. Uh, thanks again to the people in the chat who are here. Uh, this should be available in a podcast in about four to five days. And if you're listening to it in a podcast form, don't forget to like and subscribe for future content. Y'all take it easy. <laughs>